dear listeners, greetings and welcome to episode number 11 of Fans About Films. I hope you are all well as always. And as always, I have a guest, a new special guest. And please introduce yourself. Hi, Internet. I'm Rachel. I am a physicist by trade. I'm getting my PhD studying thermal and magnetic properties of materials. And as part of that, I need a lot of escapism. So I enjoy my movies. I enjoy my films. I also write and draw in my vast free time. And so you can find me on Twitter at RK Bennett, Bennett like Elizabeth Bennett with only one T. And if you're, if you're interested in seeing any samples of what I do there, I also plug my science because, you know, that's my job. So I'm here to talk to you today about movies. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, maybe we should tell the listeners how I found you. Um, you um, uh, made a question and sent it on Twitter for everyone to see what your Halloween costume should be. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And I did not anticipate the explosion that was going to happen in my notifications. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, your costume choices were the nostalgia critic or just um, as, uh, kind of use yourself as a Gryffindor. Yes. So when I first assembled the Gryffindor costume, it actually was a Lily Evans costume, Harry Potter's mother. And then I discarded the wig and just started wearing it as a Gryffindor student because we decided in my first or second year of grad school that our Department of Physics and Astronomy was basically Hogwarts. There were far too many very appropriate parallels. And so I just started wearing the costume. Um, I liked to dress up for, for Halloween when I taught. And then last year I did the Nostalgia Critic because I was traveling. And so, yeah, that looks a little bit more normal. And I thought it was a little bit more clever. And then this year I went, well, I have both costumes here. Let's have Twitter decide. And then Channel Awesome retweeted it. And everybody went Nostalgia Critic. And a few people went uh, Griff you know, Nostalgia Critic as a Gryffindor. That was the one that got a like from Channel Awesome. So I figured, well, that that settles that. If that's the one that they like, that's the one I've got to do. <laughs> yeah, you can't disappoint the the big bosses of the internet after all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, everyone was more than happy with your choice. Um, yeah, and so I um, I thought, well, uh, she is certainly a fan of certain things I'm also a fan of. So, so I think she must be a great guest for my podcast. And so I contacted you and that's how we ended up here. Yes, that is. So we'll, we'll see if I'm as charming over a podcast as apparently I can be over Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, only time will tell. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have about an hour for um, to discuss this. So um, our choices of, um, of talking were... Um, pretty much the Harry Potter movie franchise and also kind of the Narnia franchise. And um, which franchise would you like to start with? Um, let's start with the Narnia franchise. That one might go a little bit quicker. Yeah, my, that's my guess as well. So um, I would like to know, um, first of all, what your background about the books and the movies are. So my background about the books, I actually read them in fourth or fifth grade. We ordered them from a book order. This was back when um, they would actually send little pamphlets home with the kids and you would order books through your elementary school and they would come ship to your school. And, and excuse me, my parents would just love ordering me books. I loved books. 
And so my mom goes, oh, this is a fantasy book. You'll like it. And I remember very distinctly at the time her telling me that it was a religious metaphor. She knew this. We weren't particularly religious, but she's like, oh, you know, of course, Aslan is a Jesus metaphor. And now she denies having ever said that to me, which is really funny. But, you know, of course it is. That was C.S. Lewis's intention. I loved the books. I thought they were just wonderfully adventurous and I loved the, the world that C.S. Lewis had built. And so when the Chronicles of Narnia movie came out that Disney made, I was stupid excited. <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the effects. It was Liam Neeson as, as Aslan. There, there is no other Aslan. It's Liam Neeson. Everything was done so gorgeously. There was the lamppost. There was, you know, the, the, the gorgeous, gorgeous lion. And then I started getting upset because of some of the castings, because I still had in my head, I was like, no, Tumnus has black fur. What are you doing? He's not blonde. That's not Tumnus. What are you talking about? Lucy has, you know, bright blonde hair, not, you know, almost brownish hair. The white witch has black hair. What have you people done? And then, and then I watched the movie and I was so enamored of everybody. Georgie Henley as Lucy was just an absolute darling. I wasn't quite sold on Tumnus on my first go around, but Tilda Swinton as the White Witch, you guys, there it like, oh my God, she owned that role so much. I was so delighted with that movie. And then Prince Caspian came out and it bombed at the box office and it bombed at the box office because of when it was released. It was meant to be a winter released and they pushed it to summer because Walden Media was also releasing The Water Horse. Oh. They, yes, and it was also a big effects movie. And so they didn't want the two overlapping and taking business from each other. So mm-hmm. they went, oh, we'll release Prince Caspian in the summer. It'll be fine. It's, it's not a particularly like Christmassy, heartwarming movie, whereas that's what The Water Horse was supposed to be. And because it was released in the summer, it absolutely bombed. And I think it put a lot of people off because they changed so much from the book in the Prince Caspian movie. I had just reread through the books, and so I'd read Prince Caspian shortly before I saw the movie, and I went, what have you people done? You didn't need to change this. This was a good story. You've you've destroyed, like, you've you've taken the, the kids, you've taken Peter and made him kind of an ass and, <laughs> you know, actually an idiot. And, you know... The, the love story between Susan and Caspi, and I just went, this didn't need to be there. Let the and fan then, fictions begin. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was so angry. <laughs> and then the funny thing is I watched it again a couple of years ago, and with exception to the Susan, Susan Caspian line, Susan, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, every, everybody's got a ship name. And with exception to that, I looked at this and went, Every change they made to that story are changes that I would have made. Exploring the idea that these kids weren't really kids anymore. When they came back from Narnia, they were adults in children's bodies. Mm. So, of, of course, there would have been that frustration. That's a very interesting thing to explore. Peter would have that pride. He was Peter the Giant Slayer. You know, he, he of course, would think that he knew best, even though they don't understand Narnia the way that it is when they come back. And, you know, it just all of that was really interesting character stuff. And I saw it again and I went, man, this is actually a good movie. You show them screwing up. You show them failing. 
you show them having these character flaws that they really don't have in the books. They're idealized characters in the books because it's a children's story. And it's a children's story that was written for Lewis's, I want to say goddaughter's name was Lucy. I think oh. it was a goddaughter. So, and yeah, from, from you just mentioning it, I just realized how kind of messed up that concept is, you know, when we come back through <laughs> uh, through the wardrobe and, and they're uh, kids again. I just realized how complex that is and actually how yeah how, how kind of messed up and i'm like oh jesus christ this is this is some heavy stuff you're throwing at it, me here disney it really is it really is and so i went that that is something that i would have done if i were writing those books because i also like to torture my characters when i write so <laughs> that, that would be a, a wonderful torture to have these four For adults, two kings and two queens come back and they're children and they're being treated as children. There's a war on and they're not allowed to participate, even though they fought wars in Narnia. <laughs> they fought in what? A gigantic war against a friggin' witch. <laughs> Riding around in a, in a chariot pulled by polar bears for, you know, I pity the polar bears in Narnia. Oh my goodness, by the time spring came, poor things. But no wonder they looked angry. But, uh, Yeah, to, to come back and have that culture shock and, you know, not just the obvious one of having to go back to London and a very modern society by comparison, but also to, to be treated so very differently and how each of them would react to it. Um, Susan really wanting to kind of have a normal life yeah. and, and wanting to move on and Peter being unable to move on and Lucy and Edmund kind of being younger and more adjustable, but still really missing the lives that they had. Uh, I, I did, I, I found that whole concept very interesting and I liked how they played with that in Prince Caspian. Yeah, totally. Um, before we go to the, to the third movie in the series, um, I, I think I need to uh, address my relationship with all that stuff. Um, I actually, um, I met that universe and that story through the movie. Um, when the movie came out, I didn't know that it was based on a book. But at that point, I was a big Lord of the Rings fan. And I saw that trailer and I was like, oh, this looks like, you know, it looks like Lord of the Rings, but, but kind of yeah. different. And it's, I mean, it's kind of made by some of the same people. So yes. I was really excited to see it and I really liked it. I, I think I saw it in the cinema actually twice. Because I wasn't old enough to go to King Kong yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's a better movie than King Kong, so oh, I yeah, well, that choice. <laughs> well, that's debatable. I really like the Peter Jackson version <laughs> of King Kong, but but um, yeah, overall, it's, and I, I think it's a really really good movie. I think it's actually a great movie to introduce um, today's children to this kind of fantasy before they're old enough to watch like a Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies or anything like that. Um, And then, uh, I, I liked the movie, and then I got uh, the book for um, for Christmas, I think that year, and it was this big, it was one of those big picture books, I, I think mm -hmm. it, it had those very, very distinct drawings that are actually used in the end credit sequence of um, the third Narnia movie, mm -hmm. um, so, and I thought that was only one book, and then I, I saw this big this big thing and I um, went through the pages and I was like what there are like seven books yeah. and yeah. I, I, I was very surprised and I um, over the course of the next year I um, I read all of them and um, 
was very and I, I liked some more than others of course and so when the uh, uh, when Prince Caspian came out I actually knew the book by by then and then I was very very excited and was like well how are we gonna treat this and I liked the movie a lot it's And I, I didn't mind that they changed some stuff. I actually liked how they got more into certain darker elements. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I liked that they made Peter, you know, kind of like this, this cocky dude who doesn't, who doesn't mm -hmm. adapt and who wants to go back and charge. And it's, I thought it was actually pretty, a pretty natural progression. And I, um, I liked the... You, I liked the actors they, they picked for the villains. I thought they were kind of obvious but also kind of smart to make them look like Spanish inquisitors. Mm -hmm, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but I, I thought that was actually a great design. I loved the fight sequences. I liked how kind of brutal they were. Um, the music, of course, was, um, was great. And oh, uh, that soundtrack. Oh, yes. <laughs> Harry Gregson Williams just doesn't disappoint. No, he does not. It's a, it's a great... It's a, Those are two great soundtracks, and I um, uh, the first the first uh, soundtrack was actually one of the first soundtrack CDs I owned, um, and I, I, I remember uh, distinctly hearing the music uh, in the in the movie, and it's uh, and it was glorious. And it's um, yeah, I like the I like the second movie a lot, and I didn't mind um, the changes. And also regarding all the kind of political talk in that movie, especially in certain scenes where Peter Dinklage is in, mm -hmm. you can, you, you kind of, and, and you, you watch it today and you're like, wow, this seems like his audition reel for Game of Thrones. <laughs> kind of is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can just imagine that character being like, I drink and I know things. Yeah. <laughs> But this is a kid's movie, so we can't say I drink. <laughs> Exactly, and I like the the big role Warwick Davis had. Um, I, I just love him yes. anyway, and he 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 was very very good. Also, they improved on the effects a lot. I mean, of course, the the 2005 version they they did what they could, and it's, yeah. it's some of it today looks kind of hokey, but you but you can excuse that. But the effects of the second movie still hold up to this day, like oh, especially yeah. like the big. I don't know, like the like the river god or whatever it was at the mm -hmm. end, and also the the army stuff, all the animals. It's very amazing, and um, yeah, and, and also how. And uh, I remember, I was happy about one specific detail because in the books, after the big duel, uh, when the uh, when the generals kill the um, uh, what was his name? Um, Miraz. Yeah, and, <laughs> thank you. When they kill Miraz, and then. Uh, in the book specifically, uh, it's described how Peter like um, uh, cu cuts one of the generals uh, in the legs and then uh, decapitates him. Uh -huh. And they copied uh -huh. that bit for bit in the movie. I mean, they, they didn't show the exact decapitation, but he, he, he kind of uh, hits off camera and then you see his helmet fall. And I'm like, wow, they, they actually embraced that little detail. And I was very, very happy with that. They're like, oh, they love the books just as much as I do. Um, <laughs> so, so that was pretty, pretty good. And um, yeah, after, um, I, don't, I don't know what I was going to say. But, but also, um, 
I, I like to imagine how the, the mice would fight in the movie because in the book it's described how they do it and I thought they, mm -hmm. they, did, it, they did it very well uh, in the movie version and of course many people um, saw that character uh, of, of Reapy Sheep and were like This kind of reminds me of, uh, um, of of Puss in Boots in the Shrek movies. I mean, it, and it's also the yeah. same. It's also the same director. But I'm like, hey, but this character existed first, and of course, yeah. some they kind of bleed together in a way. But it's still yeah. it's still kind of its own thing and very entertaining. Um, the, the voice work is great, and um, it's it <laughs> yeah. It just I think all around they are two pretty good movies and you were, you were talking about Hilda Swindness the White Witch she was actually so good in the first one that they inserted her in the movies she actually didn't belong in yes yes they brought, they brought her back in Prince Caspian and then the last I heard that because um, of course the franchise has been sold it was originally sold to 20th Century Fox and Fox has dropped it and I forget who picked it up again but they were going to pick up with the magician's nephew because of the popularity of Tilda Swinton in the role of the White Witch. Even though that's, of course, not the one that comes next story-wise. I actually heard that they are adapting it in a TV version, and they wanted to choose the silver chair as ah. the... Yeah, I, I heard something about that from a friend, and I didn't look into it, but I, I think they picked a director already, and I think it's developed for television, but I'm not sure. And they are going with a, with a silver chair as their... Um, opening thing. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, internet, but I'm pretty sure it's 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 somewhere on IMDb. Um, so so I'm I'm I don't know who um, who's gonna do that. Maybe I can uh, quickly look it up while we're talking. But um, yeah, it's um, after the second one, uh, Disney dropped it and uh, Just World Media uh, took over, mm -hmm. and they did the third movie, which I thought was actually. The story itself was a good choice for a movie because you know it's yes. it's 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 the ship, it's it's adventure, it's faraway lands. Some of the characters are back because I I'm glad that they, and it's also it's take it takes place after Prince Caspian and I'm glad that they dropped the the third story because that one was, I don't remember much about it in the book except I remember it being uh, kind of kind of drawn out and a little boring. You know, not bad, but mm -hmm. I. But I wasn't a huge fan of that. So, so what's your, your opinion about that? So I was also glad that they picked up with Voyage of the Dawn Treader because you, you do have that continuity with Caspian and Lucy and Edmund. You introduce Eustace, who will be the protagonist of The Silver Chair. They seemed to be going in the order that um, they were intended to be read um, and the order that they were published in which was Lion, the Witch, in a Wardrobe, then Prince Caspian, then Voyage of Dawn Treader, then Silver Chair, then The Last Battle. And I forget then after that whether it was Magician's Nephew or the Horse and His Boy that came first. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, now they're arranged in chronological order where, you know, of course, Magician's Nephew happens first, but the Horse and His Boy is supposed to happen while they're still in Narnia the first time. Um, over, over the course of... You have the end of the battle with the White Witch, and then you have them going back to London. It's supposed to happen in that middle stretch. And so I was glad they skipped that movie for the way they were trying to do it. Um, so I, I did also approve of Voyage of the Dawn Treader. I, I hated the actual movie, and I still hate it. I wish I could love it, but it came off as being such a hokey kids movie. <laughs> even, in the, 
even in the advertising, you could see that they were trying to be Disney. And every time somebody actually tries to be Disney, it fails because you're not Disney. Yeah, I'm you looking at you, have... Warner Brothers animated movies. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, oh God, oh God, just, just don't do it. And even in the advertising, I remember they have Lucy sitting down with the little girl that they rescue and the little girl goes, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And Lucy does that. Well, when you grow up, you should be just like you. And I went, oh my God, what have you done to my Lucy? What have you done to her? She's, she's actually a little badass, really. She, she doesn't have to be the badass action girl to actually be a badass. And that's part of what I liked about Lucy and Susan both was that they, they were competent combatants. Susan was a dead eye with her bow and arrow, but she did not like killing. That's actually said in Prince Caspian. It really bothers her the idea of uh, killing the bear that was coming after Lucy because she hated killing things. Yeah. And, and so when, when they're making Lucy and they're trying to make her into a Disney princess at that point, and I went, no, <laughs> no, please, please don't do that to my girl. Don't do that to my girl. And so that was really, really sad to me. The, the storyline with Reap Cheap in that I thought was good because they stayed very close to the book <clears throat> in that regard. Yeah, I liked also, Caspian's performance, and I liked Eustace's performance. I was like, yes, we're going to see him in the silver chair, and this is going to be good, and then, and then they didn't continue. And <laughs> was sad. Yeah, um, yeah um, Reaper, I mean, you can't go wrong with Simon Pegg. Um, yeah. And also, you know, um, I remember the book fondly. Um, I, I don't remember everything, but I still... Mm -hmm. when I, and I didn't, I, I didn't watch the movie in the theater. I later saw it on DVD. I think I watched it twice over the years. I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I think I, I watched it twice. And I, I don't mind it. I, I don't think it's a great movie, but, but I don't think it's awful. I, I think it's it's like, oh, well, you know, it's it's kind of like a forgettable kids movie, but but there's still yeah. some some stuff in it that, that I like and some stuff that doesn't work. I think the, the, the finale is really overblown and, and kind of, I think, is, is the sea monster in, in the book? I don't think so. Yes, yes, the sea monster is in the book. Oh, so, so I completely... Um, yeah, I don't think it's fought quite the same way, but yes, the sea monster is in the book, but the white witch being part of the sea monster battle is not in the book. Yeah, that, that I... Another, Hi, Tilda Swinton, you're too popular. <laughs> of course, that I remember, yeah. Um, but I, I, I like the performances. I didn't, I, I didn't mind how... I actually liked the concept how... Lucy feels like she's in the shadow of her older sister, yes, and and, and all that yes. stuff. And I actually, I actually thought that was pretty well done. Also, like the the alternate universe where where uh, her I, I liked how they uh, brought uh, the brothers actually back for the scene, and and mm -hmm. how they are like who is Susan, and because they are not in the book, and that's that's kind of sad, you know, that only like a few children can come back every time. But but I liked how they did it in the movie, and I thought it was. A nice concept. I thought they did that. Those one feet dwarves pretty well. I mean, mm -hmm. they they were goofy. The and... Oh yeah, yeah, right. Um, you know, it's it's and I yeah the the, um, the part with with a snooty British kid was great. It's, it's yes. I, I thought I saw that actor, and I was like, well, this is a good performance. This is a very very fitting performance, and he doesn't come off as annoying. He he does come off as like the 
the fitting character for this. He yes. kind of annoyed me in the book, but in this I appreciated the performance and the timing a lot. And, you know, they added some, some action stuff, which I didn't mind at all. And I thought they improved on, on certain things. And some of, you know, just some of the horror elements and especially like the monster elements at the end i actually didn't care much for because i was like this this goes way overboard uh, literally <laughs> yes yes it does <laughs> um yeah the the sea monster was in the book but um it i think part of what fell a little flat for voyage of the dawn treader that you don't mind in the book because it's a book but doesn't necessarily work for movies there's too much trying to happen you have so many adventures, you know, and so many little side quests that you're, you know, you're left at the end of the book going, okay, or at the end of the movie going, what were we after in the first place? Was there actually a point to this or was it just a collection of adventures? And, and so that, that I think, I'm not sure how you handle that. I'm not sure which, which storyline you try to narrow down on. My first instinct is actually to be really to focus on Eustace since you're setting him up for the next movie. Um, but you know, at the same time, you do want to have some investment in those characters that you already knew. You want to have the investment in Caspian. You want to have the investment in Edmund and Lucy, and you are trying to set up Caspian a little bit for the silver chair as well, because you see him in the very beginning of that as an old man with his wife. Um, so you, you kind of wanted to set up that, yeah, Prince Caspian's going to get married and, you know, so you're not just left in the beginning of the next movie going, wait a second, it's Caspian, you, when did you get married? I mean, obviously you've had a big time skip, but when did you get married? <laughs> so that was, I think that was a ch more challenging story to adapt than it looked on the surface. And I think they wound up having problems for that reason. Yeah, uh, actually, I just looked it up and um, the silver chair, it's not developed for television, but it's a planned movie with Joe Johnson as the director. So okay. um, that, that sounds to me like, you know, kind of like a, a, a studio thing because they have the rights. Does it say who has the rights right now? The Mark Gordon Company, blah, blah. All right. Yeah, but um, I, I, don't, I don't know how far they, they are already. But, and, and, I, and I think they are going to recast Eustace because the actor is way too old for that. I mean, that it, yeah, that he is. Will, will I'm, Poulter, I'm, the I'm excited for, for the idea of doing that story, but yeah, it's like, oh, it's been so long. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't do that, actually. I've, who, is, who is requesting another uh, another, another um, Narnia movie now? It's, it's kind of, yeah. you know, uh, especially seeing how the, the, the second one under... Uh, Underperformed, which I wasn't aware of. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 kind of it's kind of like you know, let it go. You have you have two very very good and and one you know kind of solid movie. It's it's like let it let it be. It's 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 just um, I, yeah, I I don't you, think you that's much. Finish the Pevensey story by doing that. Of course, the Pevensey story properly concludes with everybody's story in the last battle, but. <clears throat> Yeah, it's if you're gonna redo it, I think you kind of have to start over, and then you're always gonna be in the shadow of the Disney films. Yeah, so. a, a reboot would be interesting in a way, um, especially since the, the stories have been adapted before in, in like cartoon form and also in, in, in television movies. Um, 
so that would make sense in a few years maybe it's by by some other company and then we're yeah. gonna insert like machine guns and batman in it and everything <laughs> <laughs> move that right up into the 21st century like they did with the jason Bourne film sure <laughs> uh, yeah no don't modernize everything just leave it in the time period it was supposed to be in k thanks yeah but 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 you know i i think it would be interesting Uh, to to see it like like with today's kids, you know, it it, it might mm -hmm. it might yeah. be it yeah. might be all right, it might work. Um, when when you do a different thing with it, because the uh, the first movie uh, takes adapts it quite closely with a few exceptions, and the second one takes some uh, liberties, but but still, uh, you know, it's it, it's kind of like the same thing. And then when the third one, it's uh, it's also in the time period, and I'm like. Maybe you could you could do other things with it. Maybe you could adapt this a little more with, with some more liberties or everything. And I'm, I'm open to it at least. I'm not married to the books. It's not like I'm I'm totally against that because you can always improve something. Except for they they are developing kind of like Lord of the Rings for television now. I heard or they are trying yeah, at least with with a Lord of the Rings universe. And I can see it with the success of Game of Thrones. But I'm like, no, just, you know, maybe like do that with uh, some of the other Tolkien books, like maybe the Silmarillion or, or like yes. uh, Baron and Luthien or some of that stuff. Do that as a television uh, thing. Yeah. That, that would work quite nicely. But Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, no, they have, they've been, they are, they are good as what they are. You know, with Hobbit, it's debatable. But I don't, I, I like those yeah. movies. I like those movies, but they're not perfect. But, but the Lord yeah. of the Rings movies are near perfection. So, no, yeah. let those as they are. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I would I would be far more interested in seeing the Silmarillion adapted than I would be a readaptation of The Lord of the Rings. And I do think that the Silmarillion would be more suited to a TV format than a movie format because it is just a collection of stories. You're, you're talking about adapting the Elfish Bible as, <laughs> as really what you're doing. So if, if you jump in after the creation story and you actually have like characters to play with, that could be interesting. But yeah, don't, don't redo Lord of the Rings, at least not yet. Give us, give us about 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. Actually, uh, you mentioning that they um, uh, like rescheduled uh, Caspian, um, I, I I didn't know that. You know, with with the water horse and everything, but be, because and that makes sense now that I know it because that happened with another certain franchise, um, because they they did that with a sixth Harry Potter movie. Yes. Because of The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight did yes. way better than Warner Brothers thought. And they were like, oh, no, we have to kind of postpone Harry Potter because that's sure to be a hit. But yeah. um, we, they were actually afraid to make too much money um, at the same time. <laughs> they were like, we, we, never, we are never going to break that year record. We, we're never, we're never going to break that. Because uh, Dark Knight make a, make a, made a crap ton of money, and yes. uh, uh, Harry Potter was sure to be make at least um, the same amount, and that was kind of risky for Warner Bros. So we were like, oh no, let's 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 uh, let, let's drop uh, the six Harry Potter movie for a while. Yeah, but that was actually something I I noticed in 2008, but I didn't know with a, with a Narnia uh, franchise. So, with that said, I think we can switch over to our um, next topic, except you have, um, like, a, a finishing word for 
for the Narnia stuff? So for the Narnia stuff, I think the last thing I would say is I really did enjoy the production design on those movies. And in particular, please and thank you to whoever designed the women's costumes in Prince Caspian. I love you because you see Susan in armor and she's actually in armor, functional armor that would protect a person in battle and there are no boob cones. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If anybody's looking for how do I put a woman in armor, I will please direct you to the Prince Caspian movies. That yeah. Forever, forever and anon. That's that's my that's my favorite thing about um, the production design in those movies is actually Susan's armor. So, yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I, I, I like that as well. You know, I, I was kind of I found it kind of weird that she still kind of wore like a dress. But mm-hmm. it's but it's but it's like whatever, you know, she's she's not supposed to be in close combat and then she still is um, no she's, she's she's supposed to be a ranged fighter which is why her her armor is kind of minimal but if you look closely in that movie and you look at her dress it's not actually a dress it's pants those are long voluminous pants those are culottes so that she can actually ride astride a horse and not have her skirt ride up really I didn't yes. notice that. I have yes. to watch her move. closely. Both Lucy and Susan are in culottes for that entire movie. Kind of it like was... those those Western things women were. Um, like, yes. Like, ah. Yes. Very to where if unless they're doing something really obvious, you cannot tell that's not a skirt. Okay, so I so I guess funny. I have to watch those movie that movie again and 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 have to find out. That that's, that sounds amazing, because I also. I also really liked how she used her bow and arrow, you know, when she was actually close to um, close to her enemies, you know, how, how she stabs people with uh, yes. with the arrow and how she um, hits uh, hits people with a bow. Um, I, I, thought, I thought it was great. And I, I liked how creative they were with... Um, I always remember that one sweeping shot near the end of the battle when we are uh, focused kind of on Susan in the midst of the battle yes. and the camera... Um, uh, gets near her and then the camera uh, you know kind of goes back and, and we see all that stuff and I watch that scene and every time I notice something else you know I notice oh there are some mice and there's a wolf and there's a bear wrestling with a guy and it's there's so much going on and it's 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 great some uh, one of my brothers actually got really mad at that battle scene because he didn't like how um how they, how the, um, Fermarians, uh, I think that's what they called in English. I don't know. How the, uh, how, how the, um, bad, uh, how the bad guys, how they kind of mm-hmm. left their, um, their, 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 their stra- strategic, um, positions, you know, mm-hmm. how, how they like, uh, left that. And also, I, I was, um, I, I found a mistake because they, uh, go in like that that army march over the bridge, and uh-huh. it's and, and, and it's it's like you, you, they would never do that because bridges yeah. would collapse. And that's that's actually something Romans uh, that's that, that we know from the Romans and, and all of that. So so it's like oh that's that's you know that's kind of like a historic mistake, but I let it go because it still looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it's, it still looks awesome, and. As, as cheesy as it is to have Lucy really just standing there with a knife Aww. and, you know, that, that being the lure, um, it was still very pretty. So that, that one kind of gets a pass on being pretty. 
Yeah, it's kind of you know, it's kind of funny how the whole army just charges her. I'm like, what are you doing? That's like you this know, like two guys, y'all. She's she's not like this big, you know. She's a tiny little thing. I really don't think you need to come after her with the entire legion. But okay. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I like how simultaneously serious those movies take themselves and how they still embrace the fairy tale element. How they are. Um, I, I, I love the, 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 the Thomas performance, James McAvoy. You can't go wrong with him, and that was one of those movie. That was one of those movie roles for him. He wasn't the huge star he is today, and that was right. that put him on a lot of uh, in a lot of people's eyesight. Where like, who is this guy? And then he he did, and now he's uh, part a part of uh, some franchises. And, and I'm like, great, he was actually in the run for the role of Bilbo Baggins. Oh, that's right. I forgot that. Yeah, and I'm like, he would have been a very cool Bilbo, actually. Um, he would have. It, w- it would have been interesting. I'm, um, it's, it's, it's always great how, like, in an alternate universe, um, you look at certain actors, and I'm like, what could have been? Um, sometimes for the better, and sometimes for the worse, and, and sometimes, like, you know, just in, the, in a different way. Like, um, did you actually know about uh, one certain casting aspect of A Lord of the Rings who was in the run who actually wanted to play the part of Elrond and they didn't cast him? No. It was David Bowie. Oh my goodness gracious. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Oh my goodness gracious. That I probably would have taken more quickly to David Bowie than I did to Hugo Weaving because when the first movie came out, Hugo Weaving was still very much Agent Smith in my mind, and I had a major problem with seeing Agent Smith playing a good guy. Now, of course, I think he's fantastic, but in in that very first meeting, I was like, no, no, what are you doing? That's a bad guy. I hadn't quite read through the books yet, and I was like, nope, this is going to end badly. Don't trust him, Gandalf. No, no that, was, that was the wrong person to say you shouldn't trust. But, um, but yeah, David Bowie in that role... I could see it. Yeah, you know, the, you know, just um, sta- standing there in the middle of a of a council, and then all of a sudden going <laughs> dance, magic dance. He'd <laughs> <laughs> probably be standing there with the two little crystal balls you'd have in the middle of Lord of the Rings, David Bowie playing with his balls. <laughs> there, there you go. There it is. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's a ball in the movie, but it's owned by Saruman. It's true. It's true. <laughs> I just watched the first Lord of the Rings movies today with someone who hadn't seen it yet, so it's it, it's Whoa. still fresh on my mind now. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. and also speaking of Hugo Weaving, he wasn't the run for um, the role of Pennywise. That I can say. Yeah, but he actually um, kind of turned it down on his own. He was uh, he nearly got the part. But he um, he saw that he just could do scary and not you know funny and intriguing as as Pennywise mm-hmm. also is supposed to be. So it's mm-hmm. um, it, it's it, it was like a, a conscious choice in, in that regard. So so yeah, that's that's something I I find very interesting. And there was something else about around David Bowie or that, but, but I, I I forgot. It's so weird. Yeah, but yeah, that's 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 just something. I... I, I, I could have I could have seen David Bowie play a Death Eater too. I'm not sure who I who I'd have cast him as. Maybe maybe as the maybe as the um, the werewolf in the seventh movies. I could, been, I could see him playing a werewolf. 
I that, that would have been interesting. I also I I also could see him as maybe one of the Hogwarts teachers or as, as some of the roles, maybe like just just a one-off role. You know, mm -hmm. I, I I I don't. I'm not quite sure. He he would fit that universe. I mean, he he is a good dramatic actor. Have you seen him in um, what was that movie? Um, uh, uh, Prestige. Where, where I have he, not. Where he play, he he is in the in Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, and he plays Tesla. Ah. And he he's he's great, and he he I, turns. I see him having a problem with pearl earrings and a thing for the number three. <laughs> I, yes, that I, I believe that. I believe that. The only thing that I think I've actually seen David Bowie in is Labyrinth. And I will say the unpopular opinion right now, I am of that age where David Bowie was supposed to be, you know, the hot thing when you hit puberty. Nothing. And I mean, there's a couple reasons for that. One, I'm asexual, so that wasn't going to happen anyway. But two, I spent the entire movie going, put on a dance belt for the love of God. What are you doing? This is this is legitimately creepy. Please stop. <laughs> I, I only saw that man as creepy, which is why I think he'd make a fantastic Death Eater. <laughs> yeah, he, he, it's also it's also interesting in, in Labyrinth, just going, you know, going on the quick tangent here. It's, it's fascinating how in Labyrinth, when I first saw that movie and they mentioned the Goblin King, and I'm like, and, and I pictured, mm. of course, like, kind of this monstrosity mm -hmm. and then he turns up uh, as this like kind of wizard man and with a goofy and the goofy hair and i was kind of yeah, and i was i was kind of taken aback as a kid i was like who what this is the goblin king and then he says his first line what's sad is sad and i'm like i buy it he's shut your yeah. presence <laughs> Oh, I, I buy him 100% as the Goblin King. I just did not have the reaction to him that a lot of people my age have. And I still find that movie incredibly creepy, which I think is its intent. So that's all good. Yeah, but, but, but. to be to be fair, I don't, I don't, for, for some girls, it, it wasn't quite the Goblin King himself, but more so the Goblin in his pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, again, coming back to dance belt, I danced for several years and some of that ballet. And when a man is in tights, he is supposed to wear a dance belt to hold everything up and smooth it out because otherwise you're breaking the line and you're seeing everything. Yeah. And I actually had to explain this to a partner of mine at one time. I'm like, sweetie, we need to talk. We need to put on the belt. <laughs> it's a family show. It's the Nutcracker and it's not supposed to be that kind of nut. Okay? Okay. <laughs> A family picture, <laughs> as the nostalgia critic would say. Oh, but never so. gets old. I, I still, I actually still use that um, uh, daily. Like when when I see uh, like like a kids movie or something where that's very very in, inappropriate in a way. It's it's mm -hmm. it just it, it fits so well. It's 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 great how they so, brought it in. So very true. Yeah, it's it's great so how they brought true. it in public conscience based on the. <laughs> You know, based on the uh, Ralph Bakshi uh, commentary. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did you ever see the movie I made for kids and then swearing gore and Nazi propaganda? It's a family picture. And in some ways, I would almost say that, like, the Harry Potter movies might even fall into that category of a family picture. Because, yeah. I mean, you, the, the farther you go in that franchise, the more adult it gets. But that's also the way the books went. Yeah. I mean, I literally grew up with the books. I was the age of Harry, Ron, and Hermione um, when those books started. Yeah. And 
And so then as the movies came, I was I was a little bit older than Harry, Ron and Hermione were supposed to be by the time it was over, although I was still about the same age as the actors when they played the roles. And yeah, you're you're talking about like snakes devouring people and giant spiders and kids being put, you know, through peril and almost certain death for the sake of a, you know, intra school, inner school rivalry. Like, really, the the wizarding world is really hazardous. It's <laughs> it's frightening. It's frightening what they let those children go through. It is. It but, is. Yeah. Oh I'm, my goodness. I'm kind of like you in that regard. Um, I. I, I grew up with the books, but when they first came out, um, after like the second book was published, I heard like everybody going crazy over it. And mm -hmm. I was one of those snooty little brats who thought whenever something's popular, that means it sucks. Oh, uh, you hipsters. Yeah, I, I really, I really <laughs> was one of those, and I'm ashamed to say that now, but it's true. I was one of those kids, but that was the same reason why I didn't like Pokemon. I still don't, but I'm way over <laughs> that. But it's it's like I hated everything that was popular. S same with Harry Potter. And I, I remember um, one of my cousins tried to read the second book to me, and after like the first three first three sentences, I was like, no, I, I'm not interested. And then <laughs> my parents kind of forced me to it because they uh, uh, bought me the book on tape mm. and it was and it was and it was read by a uh, by a famous german actor and i ah. was like i was like all right whatever you know and and i just put it i put the cassette on that was uh, at the time where we still uh, listened to cassettes yep. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. <laughs> so it was literally a book on tape and just i just put it on while i was like kind of i don't know playing with legos or something And I was drawn in by his performance because he gave every character a certain distinct voice. And mm -hmm. after like the, the first one and a half chapters, I was hooked. And I was like, I got to listen to this more. And then this whole, this whole world, all those characters, the, the, the troll, the witches, actually that, that changed everybody's mind on witches. Now a witch, mm -hmm. uh, uh, early, you know, uh, bef before those books, every time somebody said witch, you always think of Hansel and Gretel and ugly woman, you know, warts and mm -hmm. black cat. Now, when someone says witch, the very first thing you think of, I'm sure, is Harry Potter, is some, someone mm -hmm. like Hermione or, or Professor McGonagall or, or any, anyone. So those books totally, that book, changed my life and i remember uh, the part where it's it's where it was under Quirrell's turban and mm -hmm. um, the mm -hmm. uh, the voice was actually um the, 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 they put this effect on it where the voice sounded much deeper and more creepy and i remember oh. i I, re i remember when i listened to the book on tape and and Voldemort appears and the concept of a face on on the other side Uh, you know on the opposite side of your face i remember running out of my room screaming <laughs> and i'm ye yelling to my mother turn it off <laughs> and she ran into my room and turned it off and then i i think i just read the part in the book and then i uh -huh. dared lis uh, listening to it again and after that none of that happened anymore because i Yeah, I actually, uh, some of the books I read by myself, but uh, some of them I, I still listen to on tape. So when the first movie came out, I was like all over it. I was like, oh my God, I need to see this. I need to see this. It's a Harry Potter movie. And sitting in the theater 
and the first shot with a John Williams music and the owl sitting on the Pruitt Drive sign and she flies away and then we see Dumbledore. This is still one of the most magical moments of my whole life. And I remember still closing my eyes at the Voldemort finale and rewatching that later on video because I was just too scared. I was like, I'm not quite ready to to watch this yet. I'm, I, I, I think <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna skip this now in the, in the cinema. But yeah, I remember the, the first Harry Potter movie was just a magical experience for me in, in the oh, theater. It, it was so pretty. Chris Columbus did such a good job with that film. Um, it's I know people say that um, the second movie is really weak, and it probably is the weakest of the series, but those those first two movies just so perfectly captured the tone of the books for me, despite the, the shortcomings that they have. I mean, you're asking children to carry an entire feature-length film. The acting is not good. Let's just say it now. Dan, Rupert, and Emma were trying, but they were not capable, really, of carrying a feature-length film on on their own, and it shows. But oh, well, regardless, I... every everybody around them helped so much with that that they really didn't seem that bad. And you know, not, none of them are by any accounts bad actors. They're just not the strongest child actors that were available. But they were those characters. It's a little hokey. In so many ways. It's a little. It's a little hokey. Um, they, they still come across as very childlike, which I think is appropriate for the tone. You know, the first movie, Harry is discovering this whole world where suddenly his life is so much better than it had been with the Dursleys. Holy crap, he's rich. Holy crap, he's famous. People actually want to be his friend instead of kicking him around and calling him a freak. He's actually able to wear clothes that fit him. (laughs) This is probably a big deal for this poor kid. He doesn't have to run around with broken glasses because he's got friends who can just magic his glasses back into shape. Like, this is all amazing. And the second movie, you start to see more of that darkness coming to light. And then by the third movie, everybody's like, oh, hell, shit's getting real. There's, <laughs> there's murderers escaping from Azkaban. Oh, my God, there's Azkaban, which we had only seen mentioned before. Which, frankly, if there's only one wizarding prison and it's Azkaban, that shit seems a little harsh. Because they just haul Hagrid off to Azkaban. And I'm like, is this the only place? This seems like, you know, the hard time Death Eater type stuff, not just like, you know, accidental death type things. Yeah, but, but uh, I always imagined him being like in some of like the the lower class cells, you know, in, in the way that like, oh, the, the Dementors are not that near him, you know. And yeah, uh, and also we, we, we didn't know by, by the point of the second uh, right. book, what exactly that that prison was and how it worked right. and who the uh, guards were. So I think actually Rowling didn't know that either. So to her, to herself, it was kind of like oh, it, it it's just some kind of prison. I, I I don't think she quite worked out how dark and brutal that actually was. I I get the opposite impression because of Hagrid's reaction in the book when he's when they're telling him, like, we need to take you away, and he goes, no, not Azkaban. It's yeah. very clear that that is a dreaded place. You know, it's not just, you know, no, don't take me to prison, or, you know, I swear I didn't do it, but no, not Azkaban. Yeah, you're right. And, and so I, I think she did have an idea, but I do wonder if maybe there weren't, like you said, maybe lower security um, areas of the prison, although... You're trapped on an island with basically personifications of depression. I'm not sure that there is such thing as a you know lower security vault, but 
you know, <laughs> that's that that really is just torture on the highest level. The Wizarding World is is really messed up, but <laughs> as as the movies went on and as the kids got stronger in their acting and as you were exploring more of the darker themes and not trying to hold it to such a quote unquote kids movie standard. I think the movies did get stronger. The effects and the music, um, you really can't fault, especially the the first two movies with the score when it was still John Williams doing the score. After that, you start seeing it be a little less consistent because every time they're changing directors, every time they're changing soundtrack composers, but you still have those themes, those earworms that John Williams put into your head the first time that... um, (laughs) I, I had a ringtone on my phone for a while that was not the Harry Potter theme, but it used a Celeste, or Celeste, how, whichever way you pronounce it. And people went, oh my God, you have the Harry Potter theme as your ringtone. Because now that, that instrument that used to be so associated with the Sugar Plum Fairy actually is now associated with Harry Potter, that same sound. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you, thank, thank you, John Williams. And you still stuck around for the third movie, you know? Um, he, oh yeah, yeah. And also... Great soundtrack for that. He actually went experimental with that in a way, and yes. also kind of more dark and more, you know, the the, the, the werewolf track when when uh, Lupin uh, transforms gets me every time. It's one of those great, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like dissonant John Williams scores. He uh, he, he does pretty well. You know, he he's one who gets dissonance right, um, yes. which is something you have to look out for. That's actually something that worked uh, with the it score by Benjamin Walfish. He did. The same kind of dissonance in some scenes that reminded me of John Williams, especially in the um, in the brass part. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that was cool. Yeah, and my my problem with the first two movies is, you know, they still hold up for me in a nostalgic way because I'm like, oh, I grew up with this and it's it's great. But the problem, the the problem is because I have I I am more analytical now because I've grown up and everything. And so I'm like, yeah, this is this is this is a good these are good movies, but they they are kind of slavish to their um, to their source material in a way because mm-hmm. they adapted kind of too literally sometimes. I mean, they leave a lot out, but they yeah, it, it's it, it doesn't feel like an own vision. It, it it just feels like you know, oh, this this is Chris Columbus retelling what's described in the book for the most part so mm. it's it, it lacks that vision which actually made it very difficult for me watching the third movie because all of a sudden that was an own directorial vision and mm-hmm. it, it changed tone it changed the look of everything i mean just everything looks different uh, oh, oh blue filter oh that that was the time period when blue filter was starting to be a thing <laughs> not and not uh, only that not only that also the sets the sets are totally different for the most part mm-hmm. and hogwarts and everything and i'm like i was so taken aback by that first and there was a point where i hated the third movie because they distanced themselves so much from the book and made so much up and today I still have problems with some of the forced comedy that really doesn't belong. Where I'm like, what? Yeah. What is the point of you know that 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 cleaning witch you know getting yelled at through the door? And uh, what is the point of some of the weird slapstick things they do? I, I'm I'm not. I mind that a little bit, but I actually have grown to like the third movie a lot more now because I actually see, hey, that's good that they are taking chances. That's good how they. Mm-hmm they are not quite so literal in how they are concentrating on certain things. I still don't really like the design of a werewolf, but 
I like that transformation scene and how how much they got away with in that movie. Yeah, it's 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 really weird to see this and you know going from the uh, first two movies and this one it's like oh oh hell this this is actually kind of you know this is hardcore and um, also you know some uh, when I saw who played uh, how how Peter Pettigrew looked I was like wow this is amazing casting and uh, yes. It's 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 great. Uh, pretty much all of the casting choices are incredibly solid. Uh, also, like how they, uh, I really like that they got Kenneth Branagh. You know, I think they could have been someone who is actually in a more clad, you know, in a more modern way, attractive and maybe a little younger. But he pulled it off. He he totally yeah. He totally did. It, it's like oh, they cast Kenneth Branagh because he's Kenneth Branagh. But Kenneth Branagh is always entertaining as an actor. And uh, I bought him in that role. I I did as well. Um, he he clearly relished every second he was on screen playing Lockhart, and and I agree. For the most part, the casting choices in those films were really on point. I can't see anyone else in the role of Hagrid. I can't see anyone else in the role of McGonagall. I was a little upset when they first cast McGonagall because she didn't look the way that she was supposed to in the book. I had envisioned McGonagall as a little bit younger, more middle aged. Um, and of course she was supposed to have the black hair with the widow's peak always pulled back into a bun at the nape of her neck. And, you know, here's, here's, um, you know, here, here she is Maggie Smith with, you know, her, her graying hair and very clearly not, not looking the way that she was supposed to look. And I went, no, no, no. And then I saw her more and more. And I was just like the, this this is my head of house. Thank you. Like I'm actually a Ravenclaw, but you know she's actually a hat stall for Gryffindor Ravenclaw, so I accept her as my head of house. And um, uh, let's see who else who else was good. Emma Thompson as Sybil Trelawney. Oh my god! I didn't even know was Emma Thompson for years. That's how good she was. I was I knew I knew Emma Thompson from Nanny McPhee, and so I knew she was a good character actor. And then when I was reading up on the movies, actually, I saw that the cast was Emma Thompson, and I went, "No, yeah, no." Um, let's see uh, who who else was good. Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy oh. owned that role, relished that role. You could see it every second, just seething with that arrogance and disdain. And then, but being able to turn around in the later movies and show the conflict of, oh shit, this isn't going the way that I thought it was going to go. My kid's being put in a position that I'm not comfortable with. I actually shockingly care about my child, um, which is not something that you had seen from that character until about that point. Um, and then uh, Helena Bonham Carter is Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange. Oh my goodness. She... She she owned that role as well. The only ones that actually stick out in my head as not being quite right are um, David Thewlis as Lupin and Gary Oldman as Sirius. And oh. I do want to say that Gary Oldman, after the first or his first appearance in Prisoner of Azkaban, grew on me. But when he was first cast, I went, "That's not serious. That's that's not quite right. He's supposed to look more gaunt. He's, you know, I, I envisioned someone with much larger, more sunken eyes." And I went, no, that's that's not quite him. But he played the role so well. I still cannot 100% get behind David Theolis as Lupin. And I feel bad for that because I adore the character of Lupin. Hmm. But all I can see when I look at David Theolis is King Einan from Dragon. <laughs> I, I knew it. So, I just knew it. So 
so rapey. Oh my god, I can't get over it. I'm sorry, David Thewlis, you're a good actor. Um, your portrayal of Lupin, objectively, when I look at it, I go, yes, you're doing Lupin almost perfectly, but I look at you, and all I can see is that rapey little son of a bitch, and I can't do it. I just, I can't do it. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's there's visceral gut-level reactions that just will not go away. So I don't I don't have anyone particular in mind that I would have cast in his place. It's just kind of a not him thing. David Bowie. <laughs> David Bowie. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That, that would have been a very different defense against the dark arts class. <laughs> very, very different. I, I have a feeling Harry's training for the labyrinth in, um, in Goblet of Fire would have been much more comprehensive. He'd have known exactly what he was doing. Yes. Oh, that's basically what Lupin did for his final exam anyway in the book, if I recall. He basically yeah. had them walk through and go up against a bunch of different dark creatures. So yeah, he kind of created parkour or something. Surprised. Yeah, he, he, he did, like, create uh, some kind of parkour for them. Yeah, about... Uh, <laughs> about I, I never had a problem with David Furious because I, I didn't know him at the time. I watched um, Dragonheart later and then I recognized uh -huh. him immediately and uh -huh. I'm like... Because a lot of those high-class British actors I discovered through Harry Potter because I, you know, I, I still was a kid and I was also a German kid and so I... Um, I grew up with with uh, with different movies, and I'm like, oh, all right. And and then I watched all those other movies. And I'm like, oh, this is that actor and that actress from Harry Potter and everything. So so that was fun. And uh, I was kind of disappointed by Gary Oldman, you know, as a kid because I I didn't he look he didn't look uh, how I imagined him. He didn't look wild and crazy enough. But uh, mm -hmm. watching it now, it's actually a very clever casting choice because Gary Oldman usually uh, for the most part of his career played villains mm -hmm. and so they cast him as Sirius Black who you think is the villain and then you mm -hmm. find out oh he's actually a good guy and so it's it's actually great to have that transition because it's played by Gary Oldman who's usually the villain and it's that's actually pretty clever and uh, yes. uh, uh, what what was it so and also that scene in the in the um, in the house when the, he Sirius Black is revealed, and when it's when it's revealed uh, that he and Lupin are uh, are friends and everything, and mm -hmm. how they're helping each other, that's still one of the most enjoyable, most bizarre scenes in all of the Harry Potter movies because it's a scene that's full of exposition, and they are basically screaming it to you, and it's such a quick scene because in the in the book it's of course much longer over over yes. uh, several chapters, and in this they have to condense it uh, to a few minutes and. I was very distracted by that for the first few times, but now I just see those two and later three actors with Alan Rickman relish in those roles and just totally, you know, going over the top and still so fitting. It's great yeah. how these British actors are doing this kind of, you know, nonsense fantasy with all those weird, with those weird words and spells and waving the little wands and how they... <laughs> own it how they are taking it so much off of the top that you actually can buy it in a way especially like the the late great Alan Rickman he left us well yes. too early and it's it's still this is a role of his lifetime that is a role that defined uh that defined him for a whole new generation and yes. he um he was I, I actually can't imagine anyone else playing that part now because he yeah, he. Um, uh, all you can say about him is uh, he's 
he's absolutely fantastic and um i uh, uh what what was it and also I, i was happy with oh there's one more casting choice i want to talk about because it's also a great example of how you can totally change someone's mind because when um i heard uh, they they released like a on-set photo of professor slughorn uh, in the in the sixth movie And mm-hmm. I, I saw which actor they chose and how he looked in the movie. And I'm like, that's not Professor Slughorn. He looks nothing <laughs> like him. And then, and I was like totally very, very angry. And then I saw his performance and he totally won me over. I'm like, wow, this, yes. is, this is a great example of how you can take liberties with a character. He doesn't have to look like the character. He has to play it the right way. And he played it amazingly. It's... He's yes. great in the role and he just I, I, I can't imagine him now looking like in the book I actually picture him now and you know <laughs> yeah that that happened a lot I do the same thing with Bellatrix Lestrange yeah. um, Helena Bonham Carter looks so close to the way that Bellatrix was described anyway that it really really helps but I I cannot envision any face but hers walking around just that mad woman who is so very like senpai notice me with with <laughs> she is the ultimate you know crazy fangirl um, never she really she really truly is um and and her performance when hermione takes the the polyjuice potion and they walk into the vault <laughs> the There's so much happening there as she's trying to, because she's now trying to play an entirely different character, truly, and make those mannerisms so different. And the way that she did that was actually to watch Emma Watson play the role first. Yeah. And, and <laughs> copy her. And I was like, God, but like that works so well yeah, and it's, for, for what had to happen. It's also great how... Um, to see the limits of that character because you're like wow Hermione you have a lot of talent but man you're a terrible actress yeah yeah she that's that's not that was never Hermione's Hermione's thing she's not cunning she's not a Slytherin she's <laughs> she's a she's a little Gryffindor Ravenclaw hat stall I'm very sure so I mean I wouldn't do much better in that situation but you know She she got at least through the door, which was probably farther than I would have gotten. So, <laughs> hey, you know, go go girl, go get it. Yeah, um, that's so like that whole series of movies is just like Hermione. It's not Harry Potter, and the, it's Hermione Granger and the goddamn patriarchy. Because without Hermione Granger, the boy who lived would have been dead as shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, also the, the polyjuice potion. That reminds me of something. Uh, like, I think College Humor um, printed out a list a few years ago. And that was like, I don't know, like, a few elements from the Harry Potter universe you would use for sex or something. Oh, <laughs> and I was oh, like, that's not rapey. And everything, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Especially with the polyjuice potion, where, where you yeah. just can right now picture in your head how you would use that in a realistic situation. Oh. <laughs> No, no, no. There, there, there would be post-coital murders committed. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so, so yeah. Oh, oh dear. Oh um, no. But yeah. <laughs> so it would um, be pretty desperate. Polyjuice potion is very difficult to make and is non-trivial to take. That's not a pleasant process. Yeah. So God, how like just go. Go find a 
nice, clean prostitute somewhere. Like, go to Reno where it's legal and regulated and just, <laughs> just, pay, a, just pay a hooker. Just which, pay a hooker. Which makes, you, which makes you think, are there, like, wizards, wizard hookers or, some, or something, like, in, in this universe? You know, they... they, they There must Prostitution's be, the world oldest profession, man. There's got to be wizard hookers. Yeah, Nocturne Alley, man. Okay, <laughs> if you can find anything down there, you can probably find wizard hookers. Are you lost, darling? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That creepy ass witch who costs Harry in the second movie is pro. She's probably got a stash polyjuice potion laying around. That's probably what polyjuice potion is for. Hey, have sex with whoever you want because we've got like a whole collection of hairs. Do you like redheads? Do you like? blondes do you like brunettes do you like boys we do boy whores like, <laughs> i i'm sure this is a thing There, there's no way this is not a thing so <laughs> oh, amazing it's just amazing <laughs> I, I, <laughs> some i'm of you, very sure I'm yeah it, sure. It, it's great how when when you invite uh, people who who've never met before to to a podcast like this and you are not quite sure Are they adapting to this kind of jokes? Are you allowed to make these kind of jokes and then you try it and it's great how they embrace it after that? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got very few filters, really, which is why I have never, up until this date, podcasted. I was invited several times by a friend to do, um, actually, Twitch live streams for art, and I was like, no, this is a bad idea. Aww. And they're like, why? I'm like, I am dangerous with no filter. <laughs> so my, my drawing skills are not to where I would be having, I would be comfortable having people watch me on the internet. I'm not fast enough, mostly, to make it look like something in the time frame of a, of a live stream. And so I'm like, eh, like, y'all don't need to see me, you know, cussing and carrying on and you know drawing on the wrong layer and using the wrong brush setting and i have like a little song that i sing when i'm on the wrong brush setting and i'm just like no that that process doesn't necessarily need to be out there for everybody to see but no i'm in grad school y'all there's things talked about okay <laughs> it, there's there's been conversations at the bar on and or on couches you know we there. Shit gets talked about. I grew up in a in a family where that stuff was not talked about. So now I'm like, oh, okay, I can talk about this shit. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, very very sure there are wizard cookers. <laughs> Well, you, you know, who knows? Maybe this, this episode is like a new career starting point for you in terms of podcasts or something. <laughs> one, I would say one could only hope, except I'm not sure one should hope for that. So, <laughs> um, you know, what I probably should be doing is science podcasts, but I actually know I'm, I'm more fluent in astronomy right now, at least I feel that I am, than I am in my actual field. And so I'm constantly going around going, I swear to God, I'm not an astronomer, but look at all this astronomy stuff I know. I, I know how gas giants form, people. I'm not supposed to know that. I'm supposed to be playing with electrons, which are, you know, the tiniest actual particles, fundamental particles that exist. Quarks are technically particles, but um, they they never exist just by themselves. You always have to have two or more quarks. Yeah. Um, to, you, you will never find a free quark. I've heard of people spending their PhD dissertations um, on free quarks and I'm like who the hell actually approved this as a dissertation topic you cannot find free quarks not in the time span of a PhD <laughs> you have to find that in you know a research you know permanent research position where you've got years and years and years and years and years not just three or four <laughs> all right But that's like that makes me wonder too like there's got to be wizard colleges We never talk about them, but you don't just come straight out of Hogwarts under most circumstances and become an Auror. There's got to be like Auror Academy. 
Harry yeah. Potter had to have been the exception because of real world practical experience. Um, I, you know, I mean, a, a politician, there's got to be wizard political science classes. So, yeah, I don't, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, guys, like stopping at secondary education seems really short sighted to me. <laughs> I'm also like, I also wondered, like, um, do they do they teach the kids um, like like reading and, and counting and all of that on their own at home before they go to Hogwarts? Because they have to. They have to uh, know how to read by then, and uh, because at age 11 you you should. But um, yeah, I was always yeah. wondering: is there like some kind of wizard kindergarten or something? Yeah, wizard wizard primary school that you never hear about. You hear about Hogwarts being very prestigious, which also implies that there's more than one even wizarding school just in Britain. I know Rowling has talked about there are wizarding schools all over the world, but. I'm sorry, not every wizard child in Britain is going to Hogwarts. Yeah, that's... So, that's... And, and like Hermione Granger says that, you know, it's it's one of the best schools, which implies that there are other schools and potentially even in the UK. So I'm like, is Harry Potter, or is uh, Hogwarts just the elite private school like Eton? Or are, is it the only one and there's just that few wizards? Yeah, and also um, that, that's something actually um, Vernon Dursley mentioned. He's like, oh, that's, that's a weird way to go to the, your wizard school by train. Uh, are all the flying carpets like riddled with holes or something? So um, yeah. I'm, I'm like, that's actually kind of true. Is every, is every British kid, are they just driving to London just to uh, ride by train after that? I'm like, that's actually a missed opportunity. I wish they... Had meant, I wish she mentioned in the books that there are some other devices, you know, maybe like some 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 kind of like a train that comes from another side, or maybe like a flying device. I don't know. It's it's actually Four there. Keys. Yeah. Take you to Hogsmeade and then you walk up. Oh yeah. You, know, you can't take a take a port key um, inside the Hogwarts grounds normally. Yeah, but, but that would be enough. Uh, then of course you can't apparate inside the Hogwarts grounds. Yeah. But yeah, it seems to me that there would have been there would have been other places for kids to disembark. Your first year, probably they make you ride the Hogwarts Express because they have the traditional boat ride across the lake. <laughs> so um, they like maybe first years are required to be on the Hogwarts Express. But yeah, you're also talking about an entire freaking school on one train. Yeah, and also. Oh my God. <laughs> And also, like, um, I, I think a lot of YouTube videos also co already covered that. But it's like, Hogwarts is like the most dangerous place ever. It's like everything in oh this wants to kill yeah. you. It's like, it's like, you know, the... The, the changing staircases. How do students not get killed by the staircases when they change? It's a pinch hazard, people. The staircases, the Whomping Willow. I'm like, you know, it's not willow. longer in use. You don't need this. Cut you, this bitch tree in half. It's like so. Oh, they like put a fence there, maybe you know, or like Something, a, a yeah. warning sign. <laughs> my my God! Like why why is this here? You you've got you've got like murderous thing. You've got giant spiders living in the woods, people. Yeah, it's giant like put spiders living in the woods. It's like if you you're not supposed to go in the woods. Put a goddamn wall around it. Just yeah, and then. They, send kids in there for detention <laughs> like first year students sent in here with nothing but a fucking dog All right. and it splits up at one point and he's just like we've got to get this done you're sending 
untrained 11-year-old wizards in their first year of actual magical education. These kids don't know any defensive spells at all. And and you're just like, here, take my dog and go find this thing that's murdering unicorns, by Yeah, the way. yeah, you're right. I, like, I was just... Oh, my, oh my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was just gonna, gonna mention it. I'm like, oh, what, what's our detention gonna be? Maybe, like, you know, some, some, some work or something. Oh, let's go in the woods and look for dead unicorns. Yeah, let, let's go find this thing that's murdering unicorns. Like, oh, my God, how... I, I'm with Draco on that one. I hate to say this. Because I don't want to be with Draco on anything, but my father will hear about this. Yeah, he's he's, he's so so right, <laughs> and oh I'm like, my God, uh, damn it! And also, like, yeah, he she talked about you know different different schools and different um, countries, and, and we 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 got to know a couple of them in, in the fourth book, which I thought was really interesting. Be and, and I'm like, and I'm like, and, he, and she never mentioned a German school. I, I was like so so disappointed. Even like in Pottermore, you don't uh, you don't uh, yeah, learn you, any about you don't that. See it. And I'm and, like, oh and man. I think that there's a limit to how much you you want to do and how how many times you want to go through. Yes, there's a wizarding school, and it's like this. Like how many how many times can you do that before they're just like, oh, you literally just took Hogwarts and put it in Germany. That's not creative. Yeah, but um, I mean, there has to be something, you know, there, there, there are. There has to be something. I mean, every every country has to have like like a wizard world. And I'm like, I don't care, Rowling. Just pull something out of your ass. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you already screwed up with Ilvermorny. And <laughs> there's, there's got to be more, like, I'm going to say it right now, there's got to be more than one wizarding school in the United States because we're not just sending all our kids to the East Coast. But, and, and the problem with, and I sympathize with her on this so hard, to do a wizarding school in the United States, you were screwed no matter what you did because you either ignore the indigenous traditions that the Americas have and then people accuse you of whitewashing or you attempt to incorporate those indigenous traditions and you inevitably do it wrong because so much of that mythology has died or you know otherwise been lost or in a lot of cases it's not lost and the tribes just don't want to talk about it with us because legitimately we fucked them over hmm. eight ways from sunday these people have no reason to trust us and i get it but then you're coming in and she said it like very briefly in passing and you know that that sometimes the tribes worked with the incoming wizards and sometimes they didn't and you had these different traditions but you kind of she kind of glossed over it a little bit too much but there's no way to be more specific without inevitably getting it wrong And just from my experience as a writer trying to find information on local legends in my area, it's incredibly difficult. You can't find most of it on the internet. I had to hunt, my university has a theology school. And so I was lucky in that because we have a theology school, we had a slightly larger stock of information on indigenous legends. And even then, the the stories are really scattered. Some of them are abs they're actually incomplete in the books. I read um, one of the myths, actually about a two-faced monster, very much like Voldemort, where there's this hideous face on the back of somebody's head. Oh. And I was looking for, like, you have these twin heroes that their mother was killed by one of these monsters. And according to the internet, these twin heroes go on these, all these great adventures because in many tribal mythologies, twins are almost inevitably gods. 
Uh If you have twins, those twins are gods because, gosh darn it, two things just came out of your uterus at the same time. That's just got to be supernatural, okay? (laughs) Um, And I'm reading through this. I'm like, yes, you know, here's here's the legend. Here's the twin heroes. I'm going to find out. It just stops at the end of one of their adventures. There's no actual resolution. There's no lesson learned from it the way that there are lessons learned from other indigenous tales. And I'm just like... This is incomplete. There's the that's the only way, especially since it has been mentioned that um, at least in some versions of legend, they go off and they kill the monster that killed their mother. And the only record of it that I could find was incomplete. And so it's that difficult to do it and do it right. Hmm. And, you know, she's she's pulling these monsters um, that form the Ilvermorny houses from all over our country. And I'm sitting here going. Really, in um, what, like 16, 1700s America, this witch knew about Thunderbirds, which are native to the American Southwest. You're in freaking like Massachusetts or something, and she knows about Thunderbirds? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. They, you, you have no parallel for that that I know of in the Eastern tribes. And it's very clearly she went on Wikipedia and she picked the ones that sounded good. And <laughs> that's that's not that's not how you do this but there was no there was no right way to do it and that's what's frustrating unless you had the migration to the wizarding world happen much much later which we quote unquote know can't happen because of the Salem witch trials and the only mention before fantastic beasts about an american wizarding culture is actually in harry potter and the goblet of fire at the quidditch world cup where they mention the salem witches society oh yeah so yes so we know that at least by the time the Salem witch trials were happening, there were allegedly witches and wizards in America. And that's very early on in our history. So they had to have come over around that same time. They would have had interactions with the indigenous tribes. How do you handle that narratively? It's so difficult. She tripped up, but I, I don't think she could have not. And it sucks. I wish that my culture would not have done what they did, but... Sadly, we now kind of have to live with those consequences, and I'm not sure that we'll see those relations heal in my lifetime. <laughs> Almost certainly not. But, um, yeah, there's there's got to be more than one wizarding school in the United States. You know there's the California School of Wizardry where they're all hanging out with their valley girl accents and you know like this is this is just all so great we're, we're just learning witchcraft and wizardry and then like we go down to the beach and we just you know surf all after all morning before we go to class and it's totally cool the muggles have no idea that we're not actually wearing um wetsuits because like we just have magic and <laughs> why would i spend money on a wetsuit when i can just perform a repelling charm like, come on you know that's happening that's you know amazing that's happening. you you actually um mentioning the, the sailing witch trials and everything uh, gave me a great idea um uh, doing like a fan edit of um the movie the witch from 2015 16 i don't know have you seen that one I not. It's a, it's a very good movie. It's it's a experi- it's a kind of experimental realistic horror film that's that's so in that way very realistic that they are actually speaking in that old language. So when you're watching it in English, you can't understand a lot of the dialogue i think uh, like come here if oh, ha, have I, you I lost have to get i have a friend who's a linguist 
um, kooky kit on Twitter with K's and those tend to drive her nuts because they usually get it wrong. But that movie got it right. You have dialogue like, Thomason, come hither, have you lost thy mind? And all that stuff. Um, yeah. And it's, I'm like, I'd, I'd wonder what she'd think of that. I'd have to watch it with her to see if they got it right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great movie. It's a very, very dark in in a in a subtle way scary movie and it's not what you what you quite think of in your head it's 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 a lot more and it's it has some great concepts and very very good acting it's very minimalistic in a good way and i'm actually thinking of uh, editing some of the scenes with like you know like m maybe <laughs> i don't know maybe like um The, the, uh, the there's, there's a scene where you see um uh, a witch kind of in in, in full front And, and she walks mm -hmm. towards the camera and I'm thinking of doing a fan edit where it, where it goes like do 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 I recommend that movie highly to you it's, it's, it's great, it has a creepy soundtrack it has uh, great performances it, uh, it, it's all around a, a very interesting um, interesting film that, uh, and, and it, it doesn't have any like jump scare bullshit or anything it's it's very very oh god horror, horror movies i have so little patience for horror movies because they're not scary to me and they're always trying to be scary i made the mistake of watching the right with anthony hopkins because i was bored and i'm like okay i like colin o'donoghue he plays hook in once upon a time i'm like he's he's an interesting enough actor to watch he, he usually has fun with his roles anthony hopkins is always terrific there is I mean, except for potentially Transformers, which I refuse to watch. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus but, Christ. Like, I, I believed him. I actually first saw him as Zorro in The Mask of Zorro. Oh. And he was Zorro to me. And then I watched Silence of the Lambs. And I expected to be like, oh, no, like I can't take this guy seriously as a villain because he's Zorro. And I was like, god oh, damn, I believe that man as a very creepy psychiatrist. Okay, yeah, man's good. So I was like, okay, you know, it's a horror movie, but it's got Anthony Hopkins. You'll see Anthony Hopkins possessed by a demon. It'll be great. I could not take that movie seriously for five seconds. Number one, you're expecting me to believe that Colin O'Donoghue, Killian fucking Jones, is going into the priesthood and is going to be celibate. I'm sorry. I believe that he's going to stay in the priesthood and be celibate about as much as I believe that the moon is made of green cheese. Okay? No. No fucking way. There, there's a there's a priest that he meets when he first goes to the Vatican that very clearly has the hots for him. That is bad touch territory because he walks into a lecture late. It's dark. The, you know the the priest is talking about demons and like demons names and stuff and how that's. I think it's like demons names and how that's power over the demon. And he sits down and he's like, "Oh, I see. We have somebody come in late." And I'm like. I've been in large lecture halls where the lecture's already in progress. Somebody walks in. The professor never fucking notices. This guy only notices because that man is very, very pretty. I'm asexual and I think that man's pretty. Okay. <laughs> like, so then, then the, you know, the priest comes and accosts him after the class and takes him aside. And I'm like, uh-huh, this, this is only getting more and more obvious that you got the hots for this guy. And, you know, again, I can't blame you. He's pretty. But, you know, no, just no. And and then it's revealed, spoilers, that the demon is a red-eyed mule. They show a red-eyed mule in a snowy courtyard, and I'm supposed to be afraid. <laughs> I grew up with horses. I grew up with cows. I didn't actually grow up with mules, but I am not afraid of a red-eyed mule. I can't take this seriously. That's not a real demon. 
that's a mule that you took a bad picture of and didn't use the red eye filter. I can't, I can't be frightened by that. And I, it was a tragic movie. You've got Rutger Hauer as his father, another really pretty strong actor. Oh yeah. Absolutely wasted in his role. And honestly, Colin O'Donoghue is not necessarily the best actor, but he's better than that movie. That movie, he's so focused on maintaining his American accent. They won't let him act. I can't believe anything he says. I can't feel for him. Like, his eyebrows never move. The man, <laughs> his signature is his eyebrows. And they can't move. And and so, yeah, horror movies, like, I've seen stuff that is probably horror genre. There are elements of the Harry Potter movies that are certainly horrific. Oh, yeah. Um, I even write horror. And yet I don't think of myself as writing horror because it's so different from what I see in those films. So, so yeah, like... You know, yes, in Harry Potter, there are werewolves. In the books, there are vampires. We never actually see them in the movies. Um, there, are, there are ghosts. There are goblins. There are people going around murdering people just for being muggle-born or for being muggles. And yet I don't think of those as horror films, even though they're probably actually better horror films than most of the marketed horror films. So <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you can still have a movie with horror elements without uh, being it uh, being it like a, a certain horror film. Speaking of possessed animals, um, there, there's a, a kind of similar concept in The Witch with a goat, but they actually make the goat scary. The goat is like one of the scary symbols in that. It, it's done so much better than the mule you mentioned, I'm sure. Um, uh, anything's better done than that mule that I mentioned. A freaking mule just standing there would have been better than throwing the red eye filter on oh, it. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, that's, yeah, there's something like with uh, where you mentioned it with, with like a wasted actor. Um, that's something uh, that happened to Kit Harrington actually in the second, what was it, Silent Hill movie? Because really? in in that movie he he plays like um, I don't know like, like a a little part of that movie is like one of a, a guy you know just some some guy some kind of boyfriend or something, and he has to speak with an American accent and he's freaking oh. terrible. Oh, when, honey, when when you would honey, you you've got to prep so hard to do an accent. I know because I've tried and. That's that's an absolutely non-trivial thing to do without the prep time and the prep coaching. You just it you can't do it. And also, you I'm like, I, I'm like, why does it? That, why do certain people have to have an American accent? It's like you know, America is is a multicultural country. Maybe like uh, w- one of the uh, best examples of that. Why can't you have people with British accents or, or any accent? In an American movie, why do they always have to fake an American accent? I really don't get that at all. <laughs> Because this this is a thing in the United States. We all know that you know the the only reason that somebody would have another accent is that they're in a fantasy movie. Aww, like, of, of like, a bad guy. Like, and and then the only accent that's allowed is a British accent. Yeah. And it does not matter where that or or like a historical movie doesn't matter where it's set. You know, you've, you've got all the shit that's set in ancient Greece. Everybody's got a British accent. Roman, you've Roman movies, especially Rome. Every yeah, Rome in particular. Everybody's got a British accent. I'm like, Britain was a part of the Roman Empire. It was not the Roman Empire. Those people should have like at the very least Italian or Spanish accent, some kind of romance language accent, not a Germanic Anglo language accent. 
come on now. No, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a major problem in the United States is we use it to make people seem other. And if they're not supposed to seem other, then they need to sound like us. And they need, moreover, to have a fairly generic American accent. They can't be Southern unless they're supposed to be low class. They can't be um, Bostonian unless they're supposed to be low class. They can't be California unless they're supposed to be valley girl uppity. Uh, yeah. um, they, they can't be particularly Northern unless they're supposed to be kind of goofy like the movie Fargo. Oh, don't you know? Um, or Texas and, and redneck or something like that. Yeah, southern southern accent. You've got to be like a racist redneck. Uh. And yeah, so so then you have people from they kind of wind up doing more of a midwestern accent, which even that isn't quite right. It still has to be more generic than a midwestern accent, like what I've got. And um, yeah, it just and and to us it seems so easy because it's how we talk and we think of it as we think of ourselves as at least I do as being accentless. If you've got that generic American accent, if it's not a very clear regional thing, mm. um, I think of myself as having a distinct accent until I'm on the phone with people from other parts of the country and they go, well, where are you from? And I tell them and they go, Oh yeah, I could tell by your accent. I, I'm couldn't. Like, I don't have an accent. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? So, so yeah, like, um, yeah, there, there's times when the character is supposed to be from a specific part of the world or a specific part of the country. Daniel Day-Lewis, for instance, is fantastic at doing accents and has done various regional accents in the United States that immediately tell you what yeah, that but, person is like. Yeah, but he's one uh, of our best actors ever, so of course. But yeah, he's one of the best actors ever. And then you have Kevin Costner trying to be British. Oh! <laughs> oh, my giddy aunt. I am so sorry to all of you in the UK. I know my British accent is horrible, and I know this because I have a friend from the UK. Um, but my British accent is still better than his because at least I wind up sounding not American. I actually wound up, I think the last time, I was trying to do four counties, and the very first time I tried it, I wound up with, like, Cockney mashed with, I think, Liverpool and a couple other things. And my friend, he's from, um, he went to school, went to university in Wales, um, and he's just kind of looking at me like, oh, God, I want to say something, but I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> And I'm like, no, I, I know my accent is bad and I don't train enough to do it. I used to be much better because I watched the Harry Potter films. And so I heard it all the time. Oh. County's um, posh British accent. And so when I was a kid, I could do it at the drop of a hat. And now I tried it again. I was gaming. I do Star Wars uh, RPG mechanic from Fantasy Flight. And my character was from the core. So I wanted to give her a British accent because that's that's a very core world's accent. And it, it was just awful. It was just <laughs> awful. I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, if my GM is listening, I'm so very sorry. I, I, I won't do it again. I tried. I later played a character that was based in part on Colin O'Donoghue's mannerisms, and I vaguely tried to do his East Irish mid-Atlantic thing that he's got going. There was only <laughs> one time I could get it, and it wasn't in the game, and I was very upset. Oh, right. <laughs> finally like, wait a second, I sound like him, and there's no one around to hear me, so I know how hard it is to do accents. Um, and 
like I know Robbie Coltrane was putting on for Hagrid. That's not his natural accent. He, I've heard that man do American accents and be pretty passable. I've heard him do Russian accents and be pretty passable. Oh, yeah. He popped up in a few James Bond films. Yeah, right. But it's so intensely difficult. Yeah. Oh my and, goodness. And that's like when, when you would watch Kit Harrington first in that Silent Hill movie, you would think he's like the worst actor ever. And it's so weird <laughs> seeing him in, in Game of Thrones. And then also, like, uh, in did you watch Pompeii with him? No. Because he's in that and he's basically playing Jon Snow again. And you're like, all right, uh, give him, you know, give him, give him like a, a sword and, and leather to wear. He's fantastic. Give him like jeans and a t shirt and American accent like in Silent Hill. And he's like fish out of water. <laughs> no one believes you, Kit. No one believes you. Yeah. You don't live in, you've never worn jeans in your life. You wear fur. That's yeah, also, e even if he does, vo even when he does voice work, like in How to Train Your Dragon Two, he's st he's still playing like a guy who wears fur and, and swords and everything. Who is he in How to Train Your Dragon Two? Uh, he played Eret, uh, the, the the dragon hunter guy. <gasps> you didn't know, didn't you? Stay? I didn't know. I didn't know Game of Thrones at the time, so I wouldn't have recognized him anyway. But uh, oh, yeah, he 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 um he he has he has that part, and I I just. Uh, and I realized it when I watched the credits, and I was like, "Oh, great, fantastic!" Because of course I watched the German dub version first, so I. I oh. But it's yeah. but it was but it was actually great finding out that it was him, and also in uh, just uh, uh, continuing uh, our tangent just for two more minutes, um, in that in that Pompeii movie. <laughs> It's so fantastic because, yeah, he's uh, Kit Harington is basically playing Jon Snow, but there's also another actor, and also they, they got a whole uh, shitload of British actors to play those Roman parts, so, you know, in that old, oh, yeah. old Hollywood way. So you have mm -hmm. um, you have people like, uh, who was it? Like, like, um, uh, damn it, um, who, uh, who, who played Moriarty in the second Sherlock Holmes movie? Who was that guy? Um, Rich. No, no, who was it? Oh, I know, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of his name either. Yeah, but. Uh. Oh damn. <laughs> Dear Google. <gasps> yes. Uh, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Uh, ah, here's it. Um, it's, it's, yeah, of course, Jared Harris. Yeah. Um, you have you have ah. people like like Jared Harris and everything, and 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 the parts of like a senator or something. This villain. The villain was in none of the trailers for Pompeii, but he's in like 90% of the movie. Oh, it's God. Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer, oh, dear. Kiefer Sutherland plays the evil Centurio, and he is quite awful because um. he, he kind of uses like uh, uh, Malcolm... Like... Uh, Malcolm McDowell, uh, um, ah, damn it, what was it? Uh, uh, Malcolm McDowell Caligula accent. Oh, oh it's, dear. It's so weird. It, and, I, oh, I, no. and I watched that movie in English and I was like, what is he doing? What, what, <laughs> what, is, what is this voice? He's like, oh, oh dear. He's, he's, he's kind of, ah, what, what is some, some of the stuff he, he says? Like, uh, I don't know, like a girl reaches him a drink and he's like, for me, how kind. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> And, it's, no. and I didn't know, my brother actually told me that he was in that movie because he watched it before me, but I forgot. And so I watched mm -hmm. it and the opening credits are going out over, are going on over the opening scene. 
mm-hmm. and then uh, he rides into scene he pops up exactly when it says on screen and Kiefer Sutherland and I'm sitting there oh. like what <laughs> oh lord Oh but, Lord! What was no. it? Yeah, what I, was... like, like I said, I know how hard it is to do the accents. Like there, there are reasons that um, that I that I don't do them. I had a friend ask me, well, you know, joking around, he's like, "Oh my God, why didn't you play Ray in the new Star Wars movie? You basically are Ray, which is why my name my nickname is now Ray Ray." And <laughs> I was like, um, "Okay, because I'm not a classically trained actress, and I can't do a British accent." Like. I, I can't, and I don't know why they chose to have Ray have a British accent, but they did. So <laughs> there's there's clearly a reason for it. It was a deliberate choice, but yeah, I, I can't do that. I Like I said, I used to be able to. I can't anymore. I have the utmost respect for people who actually can manage it, even, even in Game of Thrones being trained to do the Dothraki accent. Oh, yeah. They're like very, this. very, very difficult. Um, let's see. Uh, Ralph Fiennes doing Voldemort's voice, even though that's, you know, really just a variation on his natural voice, you still need to hold that and make it consistent through at the very least six movies, because I don't think we actually see, and I'm not a hundred percent sure Ralph Fiennes was Voldemort in the Sorcerer's Stone. No, he wasn't. That was the same actor who played Cruel. He actually played Voldemort in that movie. Oh, okay. So yeah, so it was five movies. For four movies because he wasn't in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, still, but... you're, you're having to hold that performance consistently. That's non-trivial. That's, like, my God. I, I have a lot of respect for people who have that kind of vocal control um, because I'm not one of them. So, um, and and so, yeah, when when actors do legitimately horrible accents, you know, you, you want to make fun of them. You want to you wanna just nail... Um, Kevin Costner to the wall for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. You really do. And there are a lot of things about that movie that you can nail to a wall, but it's so often a matter of inadequate prep time and has so little to do with the actor's actual ability. There are people who have a more natural proclivity and talent for it, and I have no doubt that if you put you know, certain different actors in that same role with the same prep time, you would have people who came out with a better accent. But you know, everybody learns things differently as well. And like, you know, there's, there's so many other things that you can critique about that movie, except for Morgan Freeman and Alan Rickman. Yeah. And it's, it's already hard enough for Kevin Costner to act like a human being with emotion. (laughs) This is, this is very true. Oh, oh did you see him in men of steel? Oh my God. Oh oh my God. Like when he, when he popped up in man of steel, y'all like how, how just how that's not jonathan kent how did that jonathan audition go kent forever to me will be the guy who played bo duke in dukes of hazard because <laughs> of the tv show um because the tv show smallville uh he he owned that role he he was jonathan kent to me even though i don't comic book at all i've mm. never read a single comic book ever that's still to me the the standard that you would have to hold an actor who played Jonathan Kent to, and Kevin Costner was not going to meet that standard. Nope. That was there. There was no hope for that movie anyway because it was so poorly uh, written and staged and um, edited overall. Yeah, that's but a, that's a you, whole. You certainly didn't do yourself any favors by putting him in that role. Yeah, that's a whole yeah. other topic. Um, actually, uh, Kevin Costner, uh, did you know about his story uh, behind Robin Hood and the editing? Mm. 
um, because he actually forced um, the filmmakers to cut a lot of scenes with Alan Rickman out because he stole the whole film away from him. This is true. I have seen what I think was the actual director's cut of Prince of Thieves, where there was a lot more yeah. with Alan Rickman. Where you find and out some that... of it I agree with cutting because it was redundant, but it was like, holy shit, this guy makes so much more sense now. Yeah, you find a lot more out about him, like the, the witch is his mother, I think that's not in the mm -hmm. original cut, and also like he's, yeah. he's part of this whole devil-worshipping thing or whatever it was. Yeah. So it's, yeah, that's, that's actually quite interesting, because you also have you also get the impression that the Alan Rickman scenes were directed by a totally different person. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was very different tonally. And when I saw it, because I grew up with the theatrical cut, I was like, what the hell is going on here? I don't understand. And then it, you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah, this, this made the sheriff's character more than, than it originally was. Call I, always, I, I already, yeah, I already thought the sheriff's character was quite interesting in that Alan Rickman, just so good at playing the baddie. He really is. Really was. Yes. Sadly. <laughs> like, I, um, I want him in Harry uh, Potter to go at one point, like, and call off Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it would have worked so well. Because I can totally see Snape doing that just for being Snape. But the way that he played Snape in the movies is so different from what Snape was in the books. But it works so well for a film. But I went back and read through the books because, of course, now every there's, there's all these Snape fangirls, right? And, mm. you know, oh, Snape is just misunderstood. And, you know, he really did love Lily. And it's like, no, he, he really kind of thought of Lily as a possession. And Rowling has stated outright he's not supposed to be good or bad. He's supposed to be great. And yeah. Alan Rickman plays that to a T. He plays it so well. But in the books... Snape is unforgivable to me. The levels of abuse that he heaped upon Harry and upon Neville. Oh. Fuck you. I know Neville had the possibility to be the chosen one, and if Neville had been the chosen one, then Lily would still be alive. That's why he hates Neville. I get it. But this kid had not a goddamn thing to do with it, Severus, and you're torturing him to the point where I would almost bet you at some point Neville was suicidal. Yeah, you, you get the impression here. Oh yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> I I couldn't I couldn't handle it after that. There's there's no like there's no excuse for Snape apologists in my mind because of how horrible Snape was um, to to those kids. Like these are fucking children. Grow up. Level level your anger on fucking Voldemort. Okay, he's the one who deserves it, not those kids. And just. Just stop. Just stop. I, I couldn't handle that. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, in, in the movies, they play him very differently. He's clearly, you know, unfair. He's an unfair teacher, but he's less overtly cruel in the films, I think. And, and just that, that scene in the third movie where, you know, Snape is Neville's Bogart and to make him ridiculous, he imagines him in his grandmother's clothing was just glorious. Like, the, the perplexed look on Alan Rickman's face you know, when the costume change happens and he's just like, what have you done to me? No, I have dignity. Not anymore, he actually, you don't, Alan. Not anymore, you don't. He, he plays it so well uh, that, that, that you are like, was this scene didn't they tell him what the scene was and they changed his costume without him noticing <laughs> and then they said action and he opened his eyes and he's like what the fuck have you done to me 
stick him in front of a mirror. Yeah, it was like that was so gloriously done. And I, I enjoy like every second that he's on screen because his introduction in the potions class, where you actually really see him being Snape for the first time. Yes, you see him first in the Great Hall where he's kind of side-eyeing Harry. Oh, that's right? great. But, you know, he sweeps in. It, the man knew how to work a cloak, man. There will oh. be no foolish wand-waving or silly incantations in this class. And I'm like, sit the fuck down and pay attention, y'all, because he's about to lay some shit on you. Especially especially in the scene uh, in the first movie where he's like uh, to uh, before they go through the uh, through the trapdoor and he's like talking to them in the um, in the hallway and he's yes. like one could think you are planning something and he's going away with his waving something with his yeah. yeah with his waving cloak and you're expecting John Williams to go dum 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 yes. Dum, dum. yes. <laughs> I I would buy that so hard like yeah, and, and that was a scene where I actually thought Daniel Radcliffe did really well, because you're putting him up against, in that scene, you're doing a stare-down with a very, very intimidating character at that point. Snape clearly knows shit's up, and he's not sure if he wants to call it yet, but he's kind of trying to see if Harry will give something away, and Harry just stonewalls him. Gosh darn it, Dan, that was that was actually, I think, very good. The other part, and Tumblr likes to point this out a lot, is in the Great Hall when Dumbledore is talking about um, the third floor corridor is off limits to anyone who doesn't <laughs> wish to die a most painful death. And all the other kids, all the other wizarding kids, this is how fucked up the wizarding world is. They're all just like, oh, okay. And Harry's look like, the fuck kind of school is this? <laughs> yeah, I remember. That's what the that was and so I didn't awesome. Notice it until Tumblr had pointed it out. Yeah. And I was like, God damn, sassy Harry. And that was one <laughs> of the things that did not come across as well in the movies as it did in the books. The levels of sass that Harry had. Yeah, he, he, he had one... learned to run. He had learned to hit and run as a kid because he knew he could outrun Dudley, so he could just run his mouth and then run away. And so he did that so often, and for the most part. Dan did not play that well. You had that glorious moment in the fifth movie when um, Snape is trying to teach him occlumency. And he goes, you know, and Harry says, yes. And um, he goes, Snape goes, yes, sir. And he says, there's no need to sir me, professor. <laughs> like, it, it fell a little bit flat because of Dan's performance. And I know Dan was having his own problems at the time, um, just personally. And that definitely, definitely had an impact on his acting. And he's even admitted that. But there were so many things in that movie that could have could have just been that little bit. It, it needed to be there because that was a very dark and heavy movie. And you needed those slightly lighter comedic moments. The other one that I really miss was McGonagall taking Harry into her office um, after after he had sassed Umbridge to within an inch of her life. And, you know, she sits down across from him and she goes, is it true that you shouted at Professor Umbridge? And he says, yes, Professor. And he says, is, is it true that you called her a liar? Yes, Professor. Her lips go very thin and she says, have a biscuit. Potter. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot think of the word biscuit as, as a reference to a British cookie. Yeah. Which I'm sorry, they're cookies. That that's those aren't biscuits. But I cannot think of it without thinking of the way that Jim Dale, who was the person who read my um, Harry Potter audiobooks, the way that he said that line, "Have a biscuit, Potter," <laughs> it's because the it's just so 
much you it floors you so much because McGonagall is so stern and so strict and she's just like I approve. Over over part like that woman. The part of the book like why does it say Runel Vaslip in your book? That's my nickname. <laughs> That's what my friends call me. I know what a nickname is. <laughs> and also it's a great but, background because you know Snape and his certain nicknames you know it's like oh he's he's dealing with his uh, tragic backstory again so it's it, it works yeah. on several levels yeah but uh, before we go to our um before we go quickly to our actual uh, little topic I wanted to talk about um I just wanted to mention that yeah there's I discovered Anne Rickman through Harry Potter And so it was weird to me seeing him in other roles. I, I watched, like, shortly after, I watched, like, Love Actually with my parents. And I'm like, oh, what What is he playing I, here? I still, I still can't imagine him in, like, a like a romantic comedy role. It's, no, that's Snape. Don't do like, it. Like, he's, he's playing a cheating Hasper. He's cheating on Professor Trelawney. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Because that's, that's sometimes... Exist, somebody make it and then don't show it to me because I don't want to know. <laughs> because it's that, that's the way um, certain actors have a reputation, and then it's hard for you to see them in different roles. Like, I had a little, I it was great to see like Jeremy Irons as Alfred in Batman v Superman, but I mean, I mean the movie was not good, but he was great. But I was like, yeah, I, was I was sitting there looking, looking at him as Alfred, and I like. Well, he's got to be a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jer Jer Jeremy Irons, I think the first thing I ever saw him in, of course, I heard him in The Lion King. Yeah. The first thing I ever saw him in was the Dungeons and Dragons No, movie. I knew it. I bloody oh, knew Lord. it. Oh, Lord. I don't, that movie, oh, that movie. But just, you know, the he said everything through like a mouthful of gravel in that movie. Oh. <laughs> oh <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> why? Why? It's magic. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like dragons. You know the absolute power. I don't like. He must have arrived uh, on set, uh, on set, okay. and he must have have taken a look at the sets and the costumes and the casting, and he must have been like, "Oh, it's one of those kinds of movies." Yes. Oh, I don't give a shit. Okay. Yeah, exactly. I give zero fucks. Yeah. Hold the field in which I grow my fucks, lay thine eyes upon it, and see that it is barren. It's exactly. I can, I can just, see him saying that in that film. Just like, um, kind of like how Eddie Redmayne did in Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> oh, God. He was amazing in that movie. He was just I, a treasure. I couldn't even get through that movie. I'm oh. sorry. There was something about the bees, and I, had, I hadn't even seen The Wicker Man. Okay, but now I think of that, and all I can think of is not the bees. <laughs> or like, or like, you know, when uh, when uh, the bees fly around Mila Kunis, I see Mark Wahlberg from happening. Where did the bees go? It's crazy, right? <laughs> They just disappeared. Like, you, you, you can't, you can't take it seriously. I don't know what that movie was trying to do, but it didn't do it. Yeah, it's but it's. I found it fascinating as a, as, as a watchable bad movie, and I thought Eddie Redmayne was was just amazing in that. Go. <laughs> Yeah, like I yeah, I don't think I even got to that part because I was like, I can't handle this. Oh, he gets just better. He he gets all the more better. Like it, it's like like the, the 
the last act all, it, it's all him just going crazy it, it's great and the, <laughs> the music is also amazing in that I, I, I like that movie you know in a, in a fascinatingly watchable bad way but I totally understand why you couldn't get through it I actually watched it in the cinema I used like a stops card for it so I didn't pay for anything <laughs> and it was fascinating to talk about in my in my uh, video review series after it because it was like I don't know what to say <laughs> There, what do you, what do you say about that movie? What was it trying to do? I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. so, therefore, what do you talk about? It's like it's like a it's like a movie, American movie version of an anime gone wrong. That yeah, so so terribly wrong. So America, just stop trying to do anime. <laughs> just don't do it. Um, it's it's not our thing. <laughs> so. Um, to, to get to a, a, a little topic now be, be, before we, we call it off, because I think we, we still can uh, manage a little more time out of this. <laughs> Even though it's it's gone on way, way longer because I wanted just to, to, to say, you know, it doesn't have to be that long because you weren't quite sure how you would uh, perform. But now it's, it's like we're on the roll, you know, let's just keep it coming. <laughs> um, so I wanted to um, ask you, like, we should break down maybe like our top three in, in no particular order, top three favorite moments from the Harry Potter movies, and maybe like uh, some examples of scenes we wished were included in the movie and were just in the book. So, mm -hmm. why don't you start with um, one of your uh, favorite, uh, like, like we uh, maybe we switch it up, like one of your favorite mo uh, moments in all the movies? What it, it can be a scene, a line of dialogue, a shot, anything. Oh, one of one of my favorite things out of all the films. Um, the first one that comes to mind, I'm sure this is most people's favorite, is Hermione punching Draco in the face. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. And it's even funnier. Now that I know, at the time, Emma Watson was very nervous to do that scene because she had a massive crush on Tom Felton. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so just... Her running up with her wand, and she actually takes this very ridiculous dueling pose at first as she's screaming, you foul, loathsome, evil little cockroach. <laughs> you know, Hermione, it's not worth it. And she clearly decides that's so, and then she goes, no, he fucking is worth it. And she punches him <laughs> in the face. Yeah, because and he, he started to laugh again. it down. And you watch his cronies. I think it's Goyle standing off to the side. He takes like a full second to react. <laughs> as he's first looking at Hermione and then he slowly realizes his friend has been punched in the face and he's like, oh shit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what's I'm great. I'm just like, thank you, Hermione. It needed to be done and you did it. I'd have chosen to hit him somewhere else, but, you know, it's a family picture. So. <laughs> yeah, so, right. Yeah, a, that, family, that a, good choice. a family picture where <laughs> a hippogriff gets almost decapitated and a werewolf yeah. or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's fine. Um, let me see one of my favorite moments. I actually thought of one of the moments in the first movie, but I can't. But I can't picture it now. Damn it! It was it, it was something I, I always really, you know, because I, I have to I have to take uh, that out because it's uh, like one of a like the very first scene in the in the first movie because I remember it so fondly in the cinema. But um, there was something about the first movie I, I always like remembered very very fond, but. Ah, I, I can I can't quite think of it. I think actually think the ride of uh, on on the on Buckbeak, you know, in, in Hagrid's mm -hmm. first lesson, that has to be up there because it, it's great how they expanded on it, how they actually made it uh, in 
like like totally different from the book, you know, where it's actually majestic and uh, grandiose, mm -hmm. and he and and he yells in joy, and, and the music is just amazing yes. in that scene. It's uh, that's that has to be one of my um, favorite moments because it, even though it is a little cheesy, it's earned. Yes, yeah, I I agree. I like the way that that was shot and. It's it's one of the rare high points in that film, and I think that's why it had to be there, because otherwise that film is very serious and very dark. You've got a murderer who, you know, as far as we know, is out to kill Harry and is breaking into the school to do it. Like, that's horrifying. And so you have to have that moment where it seems like, you know, for at least those few minutes of film that everything's okay again. And so, yeah, I, I agree with the impact of that scene. One of my other favorites, and this is going to be spoilers for anyone who potentially does not already know this, although if you don't, I think you're living under a rock, <laughs> is um, the shot at the end of the bat, or, you know, midpoint, I guess it is, the Battle of Hogwarts, where they have that temporary truce, and you see that Lupin and Tonks are dead. Oh. And they're like, they're lying next to each other with their hands, they're yeah. not touching anymore. But they're still kind of reaching for each other, even though they've clearly been placed. Um, that's obviously not where they fell dead. But you had seen them before on the wall of Hogwarts reaching for each other and not quite touching. And so it's this moment of, oh, no, like they didn't almost like they didn't get that last moment together. And it makes you hurt because they don't show it as well in the films. But in the books, it's very clear that those two actually do adore each other. And it's just like, oh, my heart. It's so it's so sad, but it's such a touching moment that I really like that particular shot. Oh, yeah. So with this one, it's going to be a little change up because originally I wanted to uh, I wanted to choose one of the most messed up scenes ever put to film, in my opinion. And that was supposed to be um, the, the transition scene from Moody to um, Crouch. Because oh. that's so incredibly graphic and horrifying. I, oh I, yeah! I, I watched that like a, a few years ago, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is this is terrifying, and that's it. It, it, it looks so ah, it, it looks so uh, weird and awful and all that stuff. But it's actually it's a tie-in between two scenes because I can't uh, choose which one I like the most, and that's one in in the fourth movie, like Voldemort's resurrection scene. Mm -hmm. um, all, all the stuff, how they go graphic without actually going graphic, it's, it's so disturbing. Mm -hmm. And um, and I, I watched it with my little brother who was like nine or ten um, at the time I was showing him. And my father was in the room during the resurrection scene and he was looking at me concerned, are you sure he can watch this? <laughs> Sure, it's fine. You know, it's just, you know, the, the history's most powerful dark wizard coming back to life. We're good. Especially his reveal shot when the camera pans around him, you see him from behind, and then he's closing mm -hmm. his eyes and, and, and touching his head and all of that. So that's, that's great. And it, it, it has to be a tie between that scene and the brief fight scene in the fifth movie when they, when they are fighting in the, in the room right before, um, spoiler alert, a serious dies, when they are uh, fighting side by side, him and Harry. Yes. That's such, it's great how they are doing kind of like fencing moves. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's great how they if that little moment when when he yells good one James it's like oh yeah. that's that's a little heart that's a heartbreaking moment that's that's uh, one of my favorite yeah that's it's a tie between those scenes I think yeah and I, I think the last one that I really liked is also from the final film and I mean this this may come from the fact that I'm an only child I have depression. My, my friends are, are like my family. All of these inform my position on this scene, but it's where Ron and Hermione learn that Harry has to go into the forbidden, is going to go into the forbidden forest and sacrifice himself to Voldemort. And Hermione in tears realizes what that means and says, I'll come with you. And just, you know, you know that she can't, she knows that she can't, but she has to say it anyway because Harry is such an important friend to her hmm. and she does not want him to go through that alone. That breaks her heart. And I like, I tear up thinking about that scene. Like I'm actually tearing up right now Aww. because that's such, that's such a moment where you realize how important they've all become to each other. And she like, it's become real that they can be separated because they've seen so many of their friends and other people who are important to them die and some of them in very horrible ways. I mean, Lavender Brown was clawed to death by a werewolf. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, she's like, oh no, you know, please don't go through this alone. And that's that's heartbreaking to me. And so yeah, that's that's probably my my third favorite All right. scene in the, in the films. Yeah, that's a strong choice. Um, yeah, it's it's weird uh, having uh, because I watched the uh, the last movie. Um, with my um, girlfriend at the time, you know, now, now ex-girlfriend, and she was also a big uh, Potterhead, and we watched it in a tiny cinema where they had to bring extra seats in to fit everybody in. <laughs> it, it was amazing. It wasn't a and it wasn't a three D showing. And I watched that movie, and then the movie was over, and I'm like, all right, now officially my childhood ended. Because yeah. because it's like this is the last one, and I read all the books, and that was my a big part of my childhood. Now I watch the last movie. Now it's officially over, I think. And now it's yeah. not quite because of the Fantastic Beasts things and everything. But it's all right. Um, yeah, that was that was a very weird experience to watch that. And my favorite movie. Uh, damn it, no. I think my, one of my favorite. It's no particular order, but my favorite moment has to be. I originally wanted to say like something like the chess game in the first one. I thought that was pretty well mm. done, but mm-hmm. especially with the design of the, um, yeah. of the chess figures. But my favorite moment is in uh, Seven Part One, uh, the story of the Three Brothers. It's it has mm-hmm. to be. It's it's this great. De- it's like it's like they brought in Tim Burton to direct that part. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is very Burton. It's great style. It's 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 great atmosphere. I, I I was I watched that in the cinema. And I was just entranced. It, it was uh, amazing seeing that, and it was very very smart how they how they did this. So that has to be. And a lot of people shit uh, on the on the seventh movie, and I'm always like, all the all the people say, oh, it's boring. It's just them going around camping and everything. And I'm like, that's what I like about it. I like how slow it is. It's so different. I like how different it is. I like how how slow it is. How dark. I really, really like that. I like that movie. I don't like what what they do with um, 
I always want to say uh, worm tongue, but that's the wrong. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I like what they do. I don't like what they do with uh, Peter Pettigrew, how they do this kind of goofy like escape and then take off the meaning of a silver hand. That's, mm -hmm. that, that's, just, that's just sad how they did that one. But uh, all the other stuff I really like about them, it's actually one of my favorite Harry Potter movies uh, for that reason. Because how... Yeah, because how different uh, and dark it is. And also, like, the oh, one of my favorite scenes is actually the, the, the chase sequence with the motorcycle. But also, the, the mm. music, especially when uh, one of the Death Eaters falls from his uh, broomstick and when they, the, 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 the camping thing, you know, um, falling over. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, a great, that's a great chase scene. It's like, wow, they it, really... It really is. You don't get those in Harry Potter. And so... Yeah, the, the staging on that was really cool, Yeah, I thought. I like that especially. Now, uh, let's talk about, uh, for, for closure, what scenes did you miss from the movies you actually really, really liked um, in the book? Um, okay, so one of the big ones is in the fifth book, and it's when shit is finally going to hell at Hogwarts, and Umbridge has gotten control, And you're really seeing that this is going to turn out to be a very bad situation. It's their astronomy OWLs. They're up on the tower. They're supposed to be doing this exam that's incredibly oh. important. This, this is formational for the rest of their lives. And they look down and Umbridge and two of her cronies are going off to arrest Hagrid and take him away. And you've got the, like, they're taking down a half giant And you're watching from the tower. You're helpless. You can't do anything. You know you really couldn't do anything even if you were down there, but you want to be because that's your friend. And you're supposed to be focused on this exam that's so important. And now you can't focus on that exam because this horrible thing is happening. And then McGonagall comes out. And you go, okay, McGonagall's going to put a stop to this. She's a fantastic duelist. She's incredibly skilled. And she goes down. Yeah. And it's this horrible gut punch of there's no more safety net there there's no one who's going to stop the bad things from happening anymore because even the people who we thought were here to protect us are unable to it's not that they won't it's that they can't yeah and that's 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 just such a gut punch and i cry when i read that scene even though obviously i know everything's gonna be fine um <laughs> uh, You know, or, or, as, or as fine as it is by the end of the fifth book. But, you know, at least Umbridge isn't torturing people anymore. She's being tortured by centaurs, which I think is appropriate. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that, or maybe that's, more that's than, one more scene than torture, that I understand why it was left out, because it is such a gut punch. But at the same time, it's like, I, I kind of feel like that needed to be there. Yeah, but I, I distinctly remember reading that in the book. And my mother was, like, in the same room or in the next room doing some work or Or something, and I, I remember like half laughing, half screaming because of how Hagrid defends himself, and and mm. then you know he has to he has to flee in the reaction of a teacher, and I'm like and I'm I'm reading this like you know half laughing, half half screaming at some point, and she's like going to me, are you alright? What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good example. One of one of mine, uh, and that's that's one that created this huge plot hole. Whereas, like, uh, leave it, leave it, either leave it out entirely or do it in a way that makes sense, and that's the, with the, with the mirror shards or whatever it was. 
because mm-hmm. they never established that he got this little mirror uh, purposefully to, to speak to Sirius and then at the end of the fifth book he finds out what it was supposed to be and then he smashes it and then he mm-hmm. realizes that there is this uh, this other piece in the uh, spoiler alert, like in the in, in Dumbledore's brother's uh, mm-hmm. thing, whatever and in the movie it's like he has all of a sudden he has this shard for no reason and then he brings it to yeah. the other mirror and points, and, and it's like this makes no fucking sense at all. Yeah, <laughs> I I agree. That's so stupid. Like, leave it. Somebody has to look at it at least in the editing booth or while we're filming it, and they're like, "Wait, we didn't establish this at all. Like, let, let, let's leave it out or or something." Like, it's it's that was a very very stupid decision so that's uh, yeah that's something like leave it out or something but but maybe maybe that's one of my examples do you have another one yeah um another one that like this isn't a plot hole and this isn't like it didn't need to be there and that's why it wasn't but i wanted it to be there was at the battle of hogwarts you see them they're going up to ravenclaw tower i think it's harry and luna and coming the other way in all her glory is McGonagall driving a herd of school desks yelling charge. Oh. <laughs> Holy God. Like, yes. <laughs> There's no reason for it to be there. It's kind of ridiculous, but I want that scene of McGonagall just like with her hair half down and she's 500% done with this shit. And she's going to go attack you with, 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 school desks yeah but Um, kind of tangential to that scene was also someone pointed out because mcgonagall can make two patronuses that guide them through the school at one point and those patronuses are cats with square markings around their eyes exactly like she is as an animagus because only mcgonagall can protect mcgonagall (laughs) but that woman is my spirit animal. But they kind of made up for it with a scene where she brings like the, the, the armories of the statues to life and she's like, I always wanted to use that spell. I thought that was pretty cute. But yes, it wasn't that, that was cute. <laughs> it was that was it was cute. also a little epic how they how they marched towards it. But that that yeah. was that was great. Yeah, I would have liked to seen a lot more details in that battle. What one scene I, I me and my brothers really were upset they left out was like the small battle at the end of the sixth book. Where they um, where they're actually uh, dueling some of the uh, Death Eaters and and Snape is trying to escape. I can see why they left it out because of course Dumbledore dying is a huge gut punch and they want the audience to process that and don't want to throw them in a in an epic fight scene. But it yeah. was still it, it was still a little rushed to me. I felt it was like something yes something felt missing there in my opinion but nowadays it's like it's it's the six ones is not it's not a bad movie but it's it's certainly one of the i don't know structurally it's it's one of the weirder ones because how how they focus so much on the relationships and it's it's great how they make it up with some very well uh directed uh, comedy and relationship scenes i think but um Mm -hmm. also well acted and often and i liked how they changed Quidditch, like with the uniforms and how they play it, how it's a little more rugby, like rough. Um, mm-hmm. It's that that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, it's it's all in all that was one scene I I missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think let's see one one more that I really wanted to see that I didn't see. Oh, 
the the potions riddle in I knew it. the first movie, the potions riddle, because that's literally Hermione's moment to shine. Um, yes, yeah, she she figures out how to get through the devil's snare, but um, but yeah, the the potions riddle, and I understand it does it would not play well on screen. Yeah, it but... doesn't have the flash and the interest, but I feel like there was a way to have it be very focused on Hermione solving this riddle. And like, that's the moment where she's really showing her cleverness because Snape very clearly thought that even if somebody was strong enough and, you know, clever enough to get through all these other, um, all these other obstacles that they wouldn't be clever, like book smart enough and cunning enough to figure out this riddle. And so, yeah, I, I missed that, even though I understand why it wasn't there. Yeah, some some stuff. I, I think we can talk about uh, numerous things. Some, you know, stuff that's clearly cut because it's not important to the overall story. That is actually the problem with the first few movies, especially the first two, because the filmmakers didn't know what would be important later and what mm -hmm. not. So you have a lot of scenes in the first two movies that would have that would be cut nowadays because they really don't bring much to the table. Like. Uh, what certain certain like certain detailed things, you know. I, I I'm not sure um, if uh, what was it. I, I don't know, but but I'm sh but I'm sure there there are certain things that, that that wouldn't be in those movies anymore. And so um, you know, it's kind of like like, like how Sir Cadogan, you know, he's kind of in the movie mm -hmm. because he's he, he's mm -hmm. in the background running around, and that's just a cute little Easter egg for people who know the book. So they're like, yeah. oh, there he is. You know, that's 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 kind of that's kind of fine. But I'm always distracted of how they, you know, I, I didn't like the comedy with the, uh, um, uh, how do you call her in English? Like the the the, the, the woman who protects the, the Gryffindor um, room. It's, oh, fat lady. Yeah, yeah. That's the, damn it, that's so simple. And um, yeah, the, uh, the fat forced comedy with a fat lady, and I. I didn't care for it all. It's a, that's that's something I, I really didn't like. But I liked how they expanded on the on the portraits. How you know you see this giraffe walking through different things and how it's incredibly loud in that room. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, how they left carrying out how they left the whole um, uh, house elf plot in Hogwarts out. You know, it's like in, yeah. for the overall things, it's not that important because you can think like, oh, it's a magic castle, and you know, whatever. But it's it's no it 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 makes it's formative for Hermione's character. That's what she ends up doing after the stories are done. Is she works in the Ministry of Magic and fights for um, house elves' rights and Spew. gets all these laws <laughs> passed. And so yes, well while they leave it out because you don't have time to say all that in the epilogue of a yeah. film that that's what she's done. But it's like. That's okay. You only just like basically destroyed Hermione's character in the movies. It's fine. Hermione Granger and the goddamn patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. that's. I I really I, I found it very funny in the fourth book how they are like spew. <laughs> yeah, like Hermione, Hermione, honey, we love you. You're very clever, but you're not witty. And how how Ron how Ron is like Hermione. They like it. They like to be enslaved. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, Ron, do you hear yourself when you talk? <laughs> My God. But you know, stop. Ron is kind of... Ron is in this harmless wizard... Um, 
wizard thing he now he, he has kind of like a, a certain prejudice you know as a wizard yeah. where he's like with with Slytherin and and in certain other and certain other stuff because he's used to this world and that's kind of like how how he grew up and and that in that thing and so and, and especially with all the house elves i mean it would have been a much more expensive movie i guess yeah yeah so i can understand how they why they changed the labyrinth because i was very disappointed i'm like what the hell is this it's like this kind of psychological labyrinth so i guess a crumb mm -hmm. crumb is possessed by the labyrinth and maybe not by by moody who knows yeah but but the kind of but kind of that kind of diminishes his character it's like uh, all of a sudden he's like this movie's version of gollum or something yeah yeah Oh, oh, crumb! He's not particularly loquacious. Right? <laughs> my God, my God, Hermione! Yeah, but but you know, it's it's like it, it it's it's sweet how he in the, how how he shows interest in her, and she's like she doesn't know what to think of it, and it's like. Uh, um, it's uh, whatever. It's I also liked I liked the addition in the movie with. Um, with how they focused on uh, on dancing and all of it, how how McGonagall tried to give McGonagall trying to teach her on how yeah, to dance. Oh, one, uh, oh my god! I love that moment. Oh my god. Take my waist. No. Yeah. No, thank you. I love no, it. I love the moment when when he actually touches her waist and you hear like, and he's like, yeah. "Are you motherfucker? Come here!" <laughs> yeah. Everybody, leave me out. No, no, Ron. There's going to be fan fiction now. Oh, that's. <laughs> Rule thirty four. That's so funny. I also like the detail how in the in the third movie, like Lupin um uses the gramophone as like the score for the scene. Oh yeah. That, that's amazing. Am I like he, he he's throwing the, the music on while we while his students uh, take on the boggart and I'm like, oh he loves this shit. <laughs> <laughs> he, he clearly he clearly liked his job. Yeah, that's that's I mean, great. It's sad that he couldn't stay i mean and you know obviously there's all the reasons he couldn't stay number one the jinx number two the prejudice but i'm like oh but he was so good at it it's so and also it's so weird um my little brother actually pointed this out when we watched the third movie and the um the, the giant snake comes on screen when when the bogart is like in front of like, like I, I think parvati or some some girl and then yeah, and then the, the snake takes it, it takes uh the, the shape of, of this of this clown thing and he's like that's scarier yeah, what the hell yeah, that's, not, that's not less scary Pavardi. what are you yeah what are you what are you doing what the hell was I'm like who that, that's something Pennywise would have taken when yeah <laughs> yeah like that, that's that's some Stephen King level shit right there yeah Jesus uh, please, please don't why please don't. oh <laughs> no that's <laughs> like, I, I'm not sure what you do with it, and I'm not. I can't remember. I seem to remember. I think that's what happened in the book. I think she turned it into a Jack in the Box. No, 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 no. Um, I, I think uh, there wasn't actually a snake. I think in the book there was something. I, I, I don't know, but there, there were certain things like a mummy and yeah, a ban the mummy and the unraveled its bandages, which also sounded horrifying to me. A banshee was there, um, who lost her voice, and actually yeah, the, the legs of a spider disappeared. But I liked the the uh, the, the rollerblades uh, version. I of thought that. that was better because yeah. a, a legless spider rolling around on the floor is really just more horrifying. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like that addition a lot. Yeah, and uh, these, these kids are questionable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's but it's, oh it's it's great but also it's um 
Yeah, but, but yeah, you know, now we're talking about review editions or anything. Like may, maybe some one final choice of a scene from the book that wasn't in the movie and we wished was. Can you think of one? Because um, the, the, most most of them are, most of them are justified. Been. Yeah, mo most of them are justified. Um, is, there, is there really any other particular? Um, I wish, I guess, that there had been a bit more at the Quidditch Cup when the when the dark mark went up because everybody oh. comes running and they think Harry's done it in the book and they're like oh, yeah. looking for attention and then they find the wand on Winky and that you know this wand has cast the curse and so then they start going you know they start going after Winky who whom I think is the one who actually did it under the influence of an imperious curse. But, no, no, I uh, think um, I think uh, uh, Barty Crouch Jr. did it, and then he left her with a wand. Oh, that that was probably so. I kind of got so, that right. So yeah, you saw you saw Hermione getting really you know up in arms about they're accusing this poor little house elf of doing this horrible thing, um, and you know then they're then they're accusing Harry of doing it for attention, and he's like, "Hey, out of your fucking minds." Um, so that that angle to that scene, I think, would have been interesting to see. But again, you've you've got the expensive house elf effect, and you've got time that you're trying to conserve. So, yeah, and um, that, that's something that just bothers me uh, on a whole about the fourth movie. I, I actually, I think nowadays I like the fourth movie the least um, mm -hmm. for for certain for certain elements because I think there's quite a lot of filler in there, and I don't like how they interpret certain certain um, tournament trials, especially how two of them, that's also a problem with the book, the audience can't see shit. Yeah. It's like, are we waiting all this time? Like, I, I wish they, they would cut, like, I, I would like to do, like, a fan version of, like, what went on during the, during, like, the, the, the third trial. Because are they sitting there just in that, in that big arena, like, uh, looking at their watches, like, <laughs> so, yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or is there, like, uh, or is the you band so much potential there? Or is the band just playing nonstop? <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah, yeah that's, that's something that bothers me. But uh, but the thing that bothers me the most because back then, I didn't know who that actor was, and now, knowing who this is, I'm watching this movie like you fucking wasted David Tennant. <laughs> yeah, and and I still. Because of that movie, because that's what I saw David Tennant in first as well. I had such a hard time for such a long time with him as Doctor Who. <laughs> I really did. I couldn't do it. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, you know, the 10th Doctor. Everyone loves the 10th Doctor. He's so charming and he's so attractive. And he's and I'm like, no, I've seen the tongue thing. The, the tongue thing creeped me out so bad. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So I'd see him as the doctor, and I, you know, even the overall appearance is very similar. The aesthetic is very similar between Barty Crouch Jr. and the Tenth Doctor, and I couldn't do it. I, I could not handle it. And eventually, as watching Doctor Who, I started being able to divest because he is a fantastic actor. Yeah, um, and there was finally one episode in particular where I went, okay, yes, I now buy this man as the Doctor, but I still have a hard time watching those scenes <laughs> in Goblet of Fire because of that tongue thing. It's so creepy. It's like it's a, it's so clever. It's a clever. It's a, such a clever little twitch to have 
so that you have that indication that that's the same character without having to be super obvious about it. And so it's not this reveal that's just like, you know, a cold fish across the face where you're like, where the hell did that come from? No, it's very clear because of the way this was played. But yeah, no, he's, he, he, he was too good for that role. And he mm. with even as little as he did, he was too good at that role. <laughs> and it was bothersome. Yeah, it's, it's it's like cast him as the Joker, not Jared Leto, the pretentious dickhead. Oh my god! <laughs> I I actually can't watch Jessica Jones because David Tennant is the villain, and I know that he will scare the absolute shit out of me, so I won't even watch it. Oh, maybe maybe nope. watch watch as a counterpart, uh, Pirates Band of Misfits. He is a voice actor in that, and he's great and very very funny. I want to see Ducktales. Him him oh. and Duck. I've seen. I've seen just the Nostalgia Critic review for it. I haven't even seen the pilot. But I was like, oh, really? David Tennant is Scrooge McDuck? I don't know. Like, he's good, but I don't know. And then I heard him, and I'm like, shit, I can't even tell that's the doctor. Goddamn, good job, buddy. I'm back. So, I'm shot at territory. <laughs> yeah. I, I, okay. Take me with you. I, I feel like this is basically going to be Doctor Who with ducks. But okay. Doctor Who. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's, it's Doctor Who. That's exactly what it is. So... <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm down for that. I want to see that. I, I want to see it so badly too. I hope it comes to Germany one time because I, I also seen the Nostalgia Critic review and it's what I've seen of it also in, in, in other clips. Have, have you seen that clip where we are playing with, with dart guns? Uh-uh. Because there's, there's a part where the kids are uh, like, like are playing like uh, secret agents or something and they're running through the house and then shooting everything. And there's like, uh, what's, what's the girl called again? Um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, but but she's like she's really into it, and she's uh, and, and she's uh, shooting shooting at them like with uh, like I, I don't know like uh, cursing and using certain phrases and all that stuff. And they're like, "What what are you doing? This is just a game." And she's like, "No, my character has be- this backstory, and she does this and this, and I was uh, I was very <laughs> tragic, and and I had these parents, and and what oh and what if and what if you got?" And one of the boys is like, um, uh, "What has you?" And what does your character has to have to offer? And one of the boys is like, uh, mine has a dart gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that LARPer who gets way too into it. Yeah, with, oh, uh, oh being, being a LARPer myself, I can go totally get behind that. <laughs> I've I've never properly LARPed. I didn't even tabletop RPG until a couple of years ago. Um, when my friends showed up at my office door, they had had a player drop out of their Star Wars RPG game. And two of the other players came to my door and they're like, you're gaming with us on Saturday. And I says, I'm doing what? And they're like, yeah, you're going to like, you're going to make a Star Wars character and you're going to come game with us on Sunday. I was like, I've never gamed in my life. What are you people doing? They're like, it doesn't matter. You're doing it. And so they dragged the GM to my office. We sat down in our graduate lounge and he helped me make my character. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, oh, we'll just go through and you'll just kind of like put together whatever strikes your fancy. Who have you always wanted to be in Star Wars? And I'm like, I don't have anybody that I always wanted to be in Star Wars. I had characters that I played on the playground, but I didn't have anybody that like, oh, I've always wanted to be a Jedi or I've always (laughs) wanted to be, you know, any of that. So I was like, uh, I wound up making this force sensitive um, doctor of all people who didn't even use a doctor career tree, which made it even weirder. (laughs) But like this, this was just a few months, like six months or so post battle of Endor. 
And so Luke had just established his Jedi school, and so he was sending us around looking for um, for stuff. And then um, basically we progressed the series until it ended, the, the campaign fully ended at the Battle of Jakku. And so we were doing stuff for the Rebellion, and we were investigating, um, we, we ended up being investigators on the terrorist attack on Chandrilla at the peace conference that was in one of the books. And yeah, the, the whole time I'm playing this, like, if you've seen the TV show Scrubs, mm-hmm. she was the female Star Wars version of Dr. Cox. Oh, damn it. <laughs> she would walk in and she, like, one of her signature abilities was called scathing tirade. And it was a coercion check. So you would go in and you would int- intimidate somebody and you would deal strain and it was very easy to do. And so she would just walk in and be like, listen up, Patricia, you're going to drop that weapon and you're going to drop it right now or else I'm going to take your tonsils out through your nose. <laughs> I knocked out so many stormtroopers that way. It was glorious. <laughs> Sounds amazing. It was, it was wonderful. It, it, it was like Dr. Cox and then her mentor was, if you've seen the TV show MASH, even if you've seen the movie MASH, it's pretty close. The TV show MASH, her mentor was Hawkeye Pierce which is where a lot of a lot of the other elements of her tirades come from. So the listen up Patricia is a very Dr. Cox thing and the take your tonsils out through your nose is a very Hawkeye Pierce thing. <laughs> and so I was just like this all works. I'm having fun with this. So so yeah, I've I've never done that type of thing, but I I understand the concept of the person who's just like so into their game. I was I was that person on the playground to be honest. Like my characters always had so much more to them than were really necessary. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of did the same thing as well. I, re- I remember so much that way. My friends were like, are you all right? <laughs> no, no, I was not all right. I didn't even have any friends until I was in third grade. So, of course, like I was really complex in the way I created my characters because they were my only friends. So it was it was fun to pretend to be other people who were total badasses. Yeah, and that's why I still like watching movies. Yeah, that's like that's why we watch movies, why we read books, especially like Harry Potter and all that. You know, who doesn't want to be in a way the chosen one except, you know, uh, uh, minus the dead parents, of course. Yeah, my, minus the dead parents, minus all the goddamn pressure. Like, oh. there's, there's something very attractive about being the chosen one until you realize, holy shit, I have to save the world. Please do not trust me with this. This is a bad idea. Yeah, this re- is like putting me on a podcast. It's it, it's it can only end in tears. Do you remember? Um, fondly remembering the part in the in the um, sixth movie where she only wants to date you because she thinks you're the chosen one. But I am the chosen one. What? <laughs> That's a me moment that I would completely do that with any of my friends who did that. I used to smack my guy friends across the head all the time for being pigs. So, yeah, no, her Hermione, Hermione, I wish hadn't been nerfed in some of the ways that she was nerfed in the films and just made into kind of the the nerd stereotype in a lot of ways. But no, I didn't. I didn't like, quite. They, they took they took Ron and they made him the comic relief stereotype. So it's not like they didn't do it with other characters. But that, that's why I always thought uh, uh, felt like Rupert Grint was one of the uh, best ones when they still were kids because he had great comedic <laughs> timing and he didn't have much else to do, you know, except for like making people laugh or acting scared. Yeah. And I and I thought he thought he, he was he was the strongest of the three and then later, you know, when the other ones really brought uh, brought in their acting chops and he, I, I thought he, he actually worked in the dramatic moments also very well and now 
uh, that Daniel Radcliffe, you know, he, he's a terrific actor in, in the right movies. Yeah, he's, he's gotten much better. If, if you've seen him in, like, um, Victor Frankenstein, he was great in that one. You know, I've heard he was good in that oh, one. Oh, he's, he's great. And also, it, everything about that movie is actually really, really good. They reference so many Frankenstein stories. They even mention um, young Frankenstein in that. Yes. <laughs> because yes. they... Be, Roland Z. Hay. Yeah, be, because... <laughs> not, not quite that. Because one... Um, like, uh, Igor's love interest, uh, she, she meets Frankenstein. And she's like... She's like, no, listen, Mr. Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's that, that movie is really good. It it got totally. I don't think it got panned, but it 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 bombed. Ba it bombed hard, and it didn't even come to a German cinema. So I had to pick it up on DVD, and it's very very good. Um, even though <laughs> I have to send you my um, my movies in five seconds version of it uh, of it uh, one as, as soon as we are done with this because it's, it's it doesn't spoil anything but it's actually quite funny because what you hear in my movies in five seconds is actually the very first line heard in the movie and that's all you have to know but it's it, it's a good movie I recommend I <laughs> recommend it to you it's also um, also Daniel Radcliffe was great in um, uh, what was that one uh, Swiss Army Man. <laughs> I haven't seen that one either. The only other thing I've actually seen him in is the lady. Is it the lady? No, it's not the lady in the water. God damn it! What is it called? The the woman in black. The woman in black. I always yes. get yeah. I always get them mixed up. And the only reason that I know he's a good actor is actually because I've heard other people talk about him. Because in that movie, I'm sorry, it was Harry Potter in a period piece. Yes, and it was actually was, Harry, was Harry Potter, Potter at nine. Playing as some like uh, doctor, like widower doctor who's in this haunted house where the haunted house wasn't even that particularly interesting mm. and i was like what is this no please please don't harry what are you doing and so since then i've heard people rec i've actually had other people recommend the frankenstein movie to me yeah and they were just like no he's actually really good and i'm like really he is great I mean, cool he is very good um it's 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 uh, it's it's also weird how um, I don't know if you watched the the Brothers Grimsby that that bad uh, Sacha Baron Cohen movie from last year. Um, mm -hmm. It's really awful. It's basically the poor. It's basically the, the poor version of Kingsman. Um, it's it's really it really is and it, it it's so weird because Mark Strong is in both of them, and no. it's where <laughs> um, you have. You have actually David Ra uh, Danny Radcliffe in that movie, but it's a Danny Radcliffe lookalike. It's actually convincing enough, but um, Danny Radcliffe is in that movie, and um, through an accident, he gets AIDS. <laughs> Oh, oh! It's okay. so stupid. It, it's it's really stupid, and it's kind of tasteless, you know, in that in that uh, weird comedy, such a Baron Cohen way. And but it's like you yeah. know, I think if you asked him, you could have gotten Danny Radcliffe for that because I've seen him do cameos and weird stuff. And later, mm -hmm. Danny Radcliffe is responsible for Donald Trump getting AIDS in that movie. <laughs> oh, oh dear. <laughs> well, well. I mean, at the risk of, of starting some kind of flame war on the internet, I will say that version of Daniel Radcliffe might be my hero. <laughs> because because like, they are... There's, there's, there's effective treatments now. I feel like he wouldn't die. But, <laughs> you know, now, now he's got a pre-existing condition, so fuck you. Yeah, because like, because they are in uh, at a, a big soccer game in the finale, and they say, like, in the news, oh, Donald Trump is here. And then um, a bullet is, is fired from a gun, and the bullet drives um, Danny Radcliffe's arm, and blood flies into 
Donald Trump's mouth and it's like yeah. this this horribly photoshopped still of Trump's face on a wow. on another body. It's like it's like some uh, Bruce Lee game of death shit. Oh god. <laughs> and it's and it's and, and the blood goes into his mouth and he has sores in his mouth and then it's like a newscast, like I, I don't know, so some, some some big news channel, and there's a picture of Donald Trump, and then that that was actually the funniest joke in the movie. That's saying something because there's just this uh, this this news host, and he's saying with with his uh, with a straight face, just Donald Trump has AIDS. Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> uh, it's, it's yeah. a, the movie's Bo- bad. Bodily fluids, man. Bodily fluids. Yeah. I, I have problems. Yeah. The movie's awful, but you know that that was actually kind of a funny gag. But uh, my little brother has seen that movie without me knowing. Like he watched oh. it, he watched it in a friend's house, and he texted me like, and he's he's eleven. Now and then, like, oh, sorry, I'm so stupid. He's ten, and this movie and that movie is rated oh. R. That movie's rated R, and he texts me like, "Do you know this movie, Brother Scrims?" Me, and I'm like. Why? Oh. Because because I just watched it. I'm like, you get here. What the hell? And I'm like, and yeah, no, no. There is no, there's no appropriate age for a Sacha Baron Cohen movie. Quite frankly, like uh, if it's if it's a vehicle movie for him, there is no appropriate age at which to watch that. But um, yeah. Oh, oh, the word. Yeah. Lord have mercy. I don't. There are rated R movies I would like kids watch, but not any Kingsman. <laughs> No, we're we're talking like the Matrix, okay? The Matrix oh, is yeah. R, but like I probably wouldn't have a problem showing that to about a ten year old or older. Who knows? Um, yeah, with some supervision, but yeah, no, not not that. No, no, totally not. No, no. I, I, I would, I, I would let him watch like Dread before that movie, <laughs> <laughs> because that's a good movie. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if if you're gonna do rated R movies, at least do something that's you know some kind of culturally formative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, or something like you know, I don't know, um, uh, RoboCop or a Total Recall, Terminator. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, Ter- Terminator, Terminator. I should I should have watched that movie when I was just a little bit younger. I think the first time I saw it was when I was like twelve. That I saw it all the way through. I saw bits and pieces because my parents made a point of watching it like after I went to bed. And I remember getting up in the middle of the night to, like, go get a drink of water, and they were watching Terminator 2. And I know it was Terminator 2 because I walked in right during the dream where the nuclear bomb hits. Oh. And so I just just walked out, and I'm watching these people, like, turn into paper and explode and fly apart. And I'm like, I wasn't particularly upset. I was just like, Mom and Dad, what the hell are you watching? And they were like, okay, you know, explain this really quickly. This is, you know, this is a movie, and it's about when a nuclear bomb hits, and this is what happens. You know, there's a lot of, they didn't know really anything about how a nuclear bomb worked, but they're like, there's a lot of heat, and so, it, you know, it basically, like, burns you, and, and you, you know, then you die very quickly. And I was like, oh, okay. Walk off, get my drink of water, go back to bed. Well, had a very pleasant night's sleep, but it didn't bother me. Well, it would have been, it would have been great, if like uh, if like you ask your parents like what are you watching that they're like oh it's it's it, it's just the news. <laughs> uh, my my parents weren't that horrible or clever. See, it, like I would do that to my goddaughters now. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's the thing. My my goddaughters are three years old, um, and yeah, they, if if they ever like come home after school or something and aunt rachel and mom are, are watching terminator yeah i would totally be like oh yeah this is the news 
Yeah, my. But... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Everything's fine. But just so you know, like that was that was that was the city that Aunt Rachel lives in. She can't go home now. <laughs> you have to live with her forever, <laughs> forever and ever and ever. And probably my one goddaughter would be thrilled, and the other one would kind of be like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like you're cool, but no. But the other, the other one's my girl. So. Yeah, my 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 brother's at an age now where he asks me a lot of questions about movies he shouldn't see. So he asked me, of course, what I thought of it because he he knew that it was bigly advertised, and I was looking forward to it. And I watched it twice, and he always uh, mm. and he listened to the soundtrack with me, and he's like, "Oh, what's happened in what happens in this scene?" And I'm always saying, "Oh, you know, something." scary because i don't i don't want to go into details and then actually um i i I was talking to someone like because they thought with it movie they thought about like a cameo of freddy krueger as one of the scares because that would have been that would have been pretty cool um and because it's the same studio and also it would have fit with the 80s aesthetic and everything and then my brother asked me what is freddy krueger and then i explained to him the concept of freddy krueger you know killing killing children in their dreams and after that Uh like five minutes after that i'm sitting there by myself shouldn't have done that (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you know scare the hell out of them at some point i guess yeah that's why i got my major exposure to scary movies when i was about 12 and i declared that i did not find horror movies scary and there was not going to be a horror movie anywhere that was going to scare me my parents took this as a challenge and so yeah in the course of one year i watched uh the shining with jack nicholson i watched (laughs) um poltergeist they never did make me watch The Exorcist, which is a little surprising. I think because my mother had a visceral, we're not going to, you know, expose her to that much, like, really nasty sex talk. Maybe it was because um, of a religious it, topic or something? Um, not, not so much. So um, sexual abuse is fairly prevalent in my family. And so it's, it's kind of a hot-button topic just overall. And... Um, just, just trying to kind of not be that gross about it, and also because it's fairly triggering for some members of my family. Oh, right. So I can, I can definitely see not wanting to watch that one and thinking that there was, there was an age limit to seeing that particular movie. Um, I still haven't even seen Death Wish for that reason because oh. it's a highly triggering movie for some members of my family. I haven't seen The um, Exorcist yet. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a horror movie buff, but I, I hadn't. I haven't seen that one yet because I'm actually too afraid. But now, you know, being a fan of James Wan and everything, and I'm like, I, I should give it a watch now, actually. Maybe it's, I think it's aged well, but I don't it, think... It has aged well. I saw it finally on TV, and it was a little bit cut up. It wasn't bad. Um, mm. They hadn't battlerized it too terribly much, but I could tell where there was some stuff where they're like, yeah, we definitely did a jump cut there. No. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, I liked the first movie well enough it wasn't fantastic to me but it wasn't i wasn't throwing a shoe at my tv like i did with the right um the second (laughs) exorcist movie can go straight to hell i cannot be afraid of anyone called bazuzu (laughs) i'm with i'm with doug and rob on this one man they're like bazuzu are you out of your freaking minds no just no (laughs) Um, the other movies just really aren't exorcist anymore they don't have anything to do with the original story and exorcist type films are so hard to do anyway. Like that's, that that is, that's what the right tried to do and it fell flat. Um, 
because the exorcist did it. That is the story. And you're not going to recapture the, the horror and the shock that was the exorcist. So yeah. that was one of the ones that I waited a while to see. Um, I saw scream, which I know is kind of a, a campy horror film. Like it's more of a satire than it is. Yeah. A horror and it's, horror it's film. more slasher. Like, um, but my parents legitimately expected me to be afraid of the shining. And I was like, this is kind of dumb actually. Um, <laughs> Daddy. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. Jack, it, it's scary because Jack Nicholson, it's not scary because writing, it's not scary because anything but Jack Nicholson. Oh, I think it's scary because uh, of the atmosphere and the music and some of the, some of the imagery also like the, the dark chant choir you hear during the end of it. It's, I think, I think the movie works this, um, um, like, um, also besides Jack Nicholson, but, but I, Yeah, but uh, but but I see. I mean, he's the driving force of that movie, and he and he's great. But um, it's I, I I think I think it's scary also um, also without him in a way. Um, yeah, but but I can see your points totally. Um, uh, the Exorcist um, with exorcism of the Conjuring, the first Conjuring did that concept well because that's about at some point an exorcism, but they do it in a different way that you don't even for a second compare to the original Exorcist. That's like, oh, they are doing an exorcism, but it's something totally different. Did you watch that one? I did not watch that oh, one. Oh, you should. What I, used, what I used to watch, Discovery Channel in the U.S. had this show for a while, and I, I want to say it was called The Haunting, but it wasn't about the movie. It was supposed to be real-life mm. uh, haunting stories. And so one of them was the story of, let's see, which, which movie did this end up? And it didn't wind up getting made into a film. One of the most ridiculous things, and the reason I knew it was this same story, is this woman was, like, mopping her floor, and suddenly the water that was, you know, that she was mopping with turned into blood. And <laughs> my friend and I were watching it, and we're, like, chatting over. This was when Yahoo Instant Messenger was still a thing, and we were watching this at the same time, and we're like, did the mop just get its period? Is this supposed to be scary? <laughs> What the hell is happening? I don't understand. And so, so many, so many horror movie-type things just come off ridiculous if you're not prepared to be scared. And um, it kind of, at the end of the day, hasn't mattered. So, you know, the, the character and the scenario and the plot excuse me, wind up mattering more to me on the whole than, you know, did I come away scared? The closest that I've probably come to actually being scared by a film was actually the Stephen King miniseries Rose Red, mm -hmm. um, which is which is one that I would absolutely love to see reviewed by a, a certain guy in glasses. But <laughs> um, because it is Likara, probably... Right? Yeah, <laughs> the, this is probably the best... Um, standalone story like Stephen King's story on film there's very little of the ridiculousness that usually plagues Stephen King stories and films in that there's there's no Langoliers there's no um, there's no fire hose with teeth um, <laughs> it's it's a very psychological scare type movie you do still have a monster type thing but it's it's more character driven than you tend to get with a film. And so um, that I, that's, that's what ends up drawing me into a film at the end of the day is the character, usually more than anything else. Um, sometimes movies will get away with drawing me in with the book characters first. Like 
if I were to objectively look at, say, the Harry Potter films, would I necessarily be as big a fan as I am without the books? Probably not. Um, I'm drawn into that because I know the characters and I want to see the characters doing things instead of reading about it. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there's other things that are redeeming qualities for those movies. They're very pretty. They're very, um, they're very atmospheric. They do a really good job of establishing the world and they're consistent enough with the rules. There's some inconsistencies and in like the dueling styles that you get very, very much more into the fencing by movie five, where you don't see that as much in the earlier films, like the dueling club. You see a little bit of it, but it's not its not to the degree that you see it in the fifth movie. Um, but I do, I do. I really like the world building in that more than the characters. And so that'll draw me in as well. All right. Sounds, sounds interesting. So um, we rambled a lot today. Fun though it is. It fun though it is. We, um, we moved into a lot of tangents, but we talked about everything we wanted to in the first place made this way longer than we planned but that's great you know <laughs> the, the, the more the merrier um to 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 close this off um i would like to say that i um had a lot of fun chatting with you it's it's it, it, it was great talking about all these different topics and uh, seeing some someone who is actually on the same boat on a lot of stuff and and, and sometimes sometimes also with a different opinion that's always great but it, it's it's great to chat about too um book and movie universes we we truly truly um like and even love and you, you brought a lot to the table in my opinion that was a, this was one of the most fun episodes i uh, i made so far um so so that was great and, and before you can plug your stuff again you uh, is there something else you want to say um no i i think i i will i will stop waxing poetic about about all my all my nerdy little fandom things <laughs> amazing but yeah i i did have a, a fantastic time recording with you like like i said this is the first time i've done something like this so it was it was a very enjoyable experience and i want to thank you for having me and i i really enjoyed getting to be a nerd on the internet <laughs> yeah yeah that's that, that's fantastic i hope you come back uh, at, at, at some point for another episode maybe like uh, then for just tangents you know um, <laughs> just talking about random stuff that, that would actually dangerous direction to go oh that would be great you know maybe in, in that that way we can we can still make like a certain uh, t time thing where we're like all right no more than two hours or something but but that would be actually that would be quite fantastic just to talk about uh, anything because that, that's pretty much what we did today with with some With, with some focus on, on, on certain stuff. But yeah, that, that's amazing. So um, before we both say goodbye, um, where can people find you uh, on the web of the Inter? <laughs> on the web of the Inter, you, probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. Um, letter R, letter K, Bennett with two N's and one T. So anybody Pride and Prejudice fans, Elizabeth Bennett, it's spelled exactly like that if you spell it with two T's. You're 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 a, you're a shame to society, and you need to go back and read the book again. Um, <laughs> I'm also on DeviantArt, so if you see me, my Sketchbook Sunday hashtagged posts will usually forward to my DeviantArt page, which is still kind of a silly name. It's uh, Shisei Hitsuji, 
which is spelled in a very strange um, Japanese way because I made a Japanese compound word that makes no sense because everything else was taken. So um, if, if you go to my Twitter, you'll find it there. Um, you'll find their discussions about um, my books. I'm doing NaNoWriMo this year, and I'm finishing up a book that I co-authored with one of my friends who's also on Twitter, Banmox Writer, um, B-A-N-M-O-X Writer, uh, Stephanie. So she and I have, have done a book that I'm editing, and I don't know, maybe we'll see it somewhere sometime soon, but you'll see excerpts from that there. And you'll also see the links to my DeviantArt. So you might enjoy something you find there. Feel free to follow me. I don't, I'll, I'll follow back if I think you're interesting. How's that? Yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds like something a, a lot of people can get behind. Um, yeah, thank you so much to your listeners for uh, um, staying with us with this extended episode. It's really weird looking back. Just the English episodes are this long. It's, it's so... <laughs> oh no! Actually, actually no. Um, the 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 Transformers podcast I did with another German podcaster was about three hours long. So I guess that <laughs> that, that, that that still counts because we had to go through five movies and we had strong feelings on them. So so that's reasonable. Yeah, there's but, so many strong feelings. About but Transformers. yeah, to all English listeners, um, thank you so much also for putting up with my weird voice. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not quite sure how strong my accent is. I hope it's not. Sometimes I actually drive into kind of British, I guess. I, I'm not quite sure. There, there is a little bit of a British undertone there, but I mean I, I have a hard time understanding thick accents over over audio and I don't have a hard time understanding you so I think you're fine. Oh great. Because I actually do some you know it it's 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 kind of easy for me to do like the um some kind of British you know the The kind of London upper class British accent. The posh four counties <laughs> accent, yes. <laughs> Darling. And that's kind of like, you know, the um I, I I can do some 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 weird like parody some kind of weird parody German accent. <laughs> <laughs> The kind of German accent that I would do, yeah. <laughs> it's always it's, it's always funny when, when some people force a, a German accent on somebody or you know, like with uh, some kind of Austrian Awesome. Oh yeah, it turns Austrian really quickly. Yep. Get to the chopper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. I'll be back. Put the cookie down, or I'll destroy you. <laughs> oh my god, I, uh, I'm I'm so sorry, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're a fantastic Terminator, but I cannot take you seriously in anything else ever. <laughs> Especially not as a common family father or as a brilliant scientist and junior. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Although Commando was good, I liked Commando. Yeah, but there he was—he uh, was a father, but he was an action hero in that. So yeah, he, he was an action hero first and a father second. And I yes. don't know what Alyssa Milano's mother looked like to get her out of him, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that yeah, worked. He, he married up in the world, I think, on that one. But no, that that movie was good. <laughs> it was, it was indeed. I don't need that gun. I'm gonna kill you now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will kill you last. I lied. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yes, still, even with a, with a saying goodbye, we we can't get off of our tangent. So, if you liked this episode, um, you can find all of my stuff, of course, on YouTube under uh, the channel name The Depart, or just when you type in Lasse Vogt. Um, you can find me under my name on Facebook and on Twitter, of course, where I talk uh, for, for the most part about movies. You can find all my short 
short films on YouTube and also I write uh, German um, soundtrack reviews on scoregeek.wordpress.com just run a translation program over it and I think you're good to go they actually some of my reviews actually got retweeted by um By, by certain composers. I got retreated by Benjamin Walfish and also Douglas Pipes, so that's pretty cool. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I felt very proud. There was like, I was knighted when Douglas Pipes tweeted my <laughs> tweeted my Krampus review and actually said thank you in that tweet. It was, it was amazing. And then, yeah, Benjamin Walfish retweeted my um, my it uh, review which was also great and, and got actually uh, it got a lot of hits so yeah that's great so you can find all my stuff there this was um my podcast fans about films episode number 11 where we talked about a lot of things and also a little bit about harry potter and narnia please dear guest say goodbye to our um, fellow listeners so long internet it's been real <laughs> yes It has. So, goodbye, dear people, and good night. Uh -huh.